forgot to ask you last night what your uh, what your Skype avatar is. Is that a panel from a Hawkeye comic strip? No, good guess. It's uh, Holden Caulfield from uh, one of the covers to Catcher in the Rye. Hmm, yeah, no, I recognize the picture now, but I don't remember that, that cover. I, I thought everyone had the maroon cover with the yellow text. Right. That's the one uh, the guy had when he uh, shot John Lennon, I think. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one that you read in school. Well, I have a very deep resonant voice, don't I? Yeah, you got a you got a little you got a nose cold. You got a little hangover going there, or both. Well, hangover. I'm fine. Oh, I um uh, yes, I uh yes. Uh, this will come out uh after that episode is released. We had our uh do by Friday holiday par- holiday party last night, and uh, we had some friends on, including the crew of ATP. Uh. Alex's uh, wife Maddie was on. Hmm. Tiff Arment was on. We tried to get Eleanor on, but she got gun shy. Hmm. Um, I think it was fun. I hope it was fun. Did you have fun doing it? I I didn't know what the deal was there. I thought we were going to pop in for like say hi in an after show, but apparently that was the show. <laughs> well, you know, hard for me. To, hard for me to believe that a show is going to come out of that. But you know, oh. I guess that's the, the magic of editing. Well. You know, do by Friday. It's nice to have everybody there. Yeah, do it by no, Friday. I, I, we challenge each other. We challenge ourselves. Yeah, I know. I enjoy that program. I enjoy those people. Aren't they? Aren't they fun people? You know what I think mm-hmm. it is. I'm going to be honest. I, uh, I think people enjoy the chemistry between hosts of a show, with some regard to the topic. People who are too into the topic, I don't know. They're not fun. I, you know, like I listen- Max. He's a little bit too into the topic. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh gosh. He gets real. He gets. Man, he's like a dog with a bone. Sometimes give a dog a bone. Well, you do that. Knick-knack, patty <laughs> Um, uh, But, you know, I the shows that I listen to a lot of times, I listen to it because this is so obvious. But, I don't know, podcasts kind of got a rap for being about topics, usually tech topics. And, and they're sometimes kind of anonymous. But I think they got popular because you start to – I mean, there's the new kind of podcast, which is like reading an essay over a music bed. That's fine. But the classic kind of like – we've got a rough idea what we're going to do. And we just talk podcast. I think people like the chemistry and, and I'll be, uh, to be really honest, our show is very silly. It's very, very silly. It's very, it's full of layers and layers of in jokes about in jokes that are constantly evolving. I think people enjoy the toothiness of that, but I think also people just need a laugh, you know, on our show, we laugh a lot at each other and ourselves on the show. And, I don't know. It makes me really. It makes me really happy to do, and uh, I. I think people need a laugh. So yeah, I had a lot of bourbon last night. Yeah, I don't know what. By the time we got there, it was, it was all over. It's all over, but the crying. Oh, I I remember when you first got on the call. Yeah, everyone was uh, already uh, three sheets to the wind. Or one thing that was. I'm interested to see how Alex handles the edit of this. And like I said, that will be out. Dubyfriday.com. Um, it will be out by the time this. Uh, episode comes out but um it'll be interesting to see what editing choices she makes partly because a lot of it is very very silly probably inappropriate at points but uh also there was a point when something happened and the call dropped and tiff and i kind of had our own like 15 minute sub podcast i assume everybody else was having their own sub podcast (laughs) and then everything picked right back up again kind of like there's a little rift in the timeline and i'm wondering how she's going to handle that 
Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that can be cut out there. There's a lot of overtalk, a lot of silliness, a oh. lot of uh, meaningless oh. blather. So I think you're gonna. It's gonna be like a uh, uh, you look nice today. Where you record for record for a really long time, and then you make the show out of the the choicest bits. Oh man, I'm so glad you don't edit things. Uh um. Why are you glad I don't edit things? I yeah, people edit too much. Everybody. Well, if you too can't much. tell, you have no idea. I like you look nice today. Was you look nice today? Edited too much or just the right amount? Mm, I think mostly the right amount. And that right amount in that case, I don't like to leave to anything on the tarp. You know, I want to make sure yeah, that you know yeah. all that delicious content gets out there. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so I don't know. I'll talk about whatever you want. I don't. I had one. I was just listening back a little bit to remember what we talked about last time. Did you ever end up uh, circling back with your kids to talk at all about uh, what their situation with school passwords yeah, I, is? I only asked my son because I figure I know what's up with the elementary school. That he uh, He's in middle school. He's in his last year of middle school. He's in eighth grade. And according to him, password security and stuff like that has not come up in any formal way. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to get any accurate information from him. He's at that age where asking any question is like just you get a series of grunts and you have to interpret in some way. It's it's very difficult to to figure things out. But as far as I'm able to tell, no, mm-hmm. it hasn't come up yet. So we'll yeah. see. We'll see what happens in high school. Yeah, I imagine it'll always be that way. It's very impressionistic talking to a kid. I've said this to you before, but like I sometimes when she's my daughter, and you know, we usually when we're walking home from school, I hear a lot of the gossip. You know, who got in trouble? Like what got stolen? You know, all the gossip. Who's uh, who's in trouble? And, uh, but then sometimes there are things where I can't, I honestly, I'm not sure if, if she's telling me something she read in a book or it's something that happened or some combination. And it's not for lack of words. There's lots of words. I just, I can't mm-hmm. follow all of what's going on. Yep. I don't know who yep. the characters I'm, are. I'm very familiar with that phenomenon. Very, very familiar. Very, you find yourself trying to, you don't want to, I don't want to usually derail the train because I'm know. just excited that one of my children is still talking to yeah. me in yeah. some way. But on the other hand, I have basic questions about, is this something that happened in the past that will happen in the future? Are you making up a story? Uh, like, who are who are we talking about? What are we talking about? <laughs> you just it's a lot of words, a lot of words, a lot of sort of picking up the middle of the stream. But that's when you know pick her up and she's in a good mood and wants to tell me a lot of things. And I know that uh, not all kids are like that, and even kids that start off like that sometimes change into kids who don't want to tell you anything. I know. I realized this week that I need to take a very good, tight, high-resolution photo of her class photo, where it's got all the kids lined up in the names, so I can like at least treat it like a playbill or something when I'm hearing the story. I can figure out, oh, man. So you can do a slow zoom on uh, Jack Nicholson's face? (laughs) (sighs) Forever and ever. So, yeah. Yeah, so then I made made another error, which is I – we had arranged – for me to have time to take a short nap this afternoon. And I thought, this is a perfect opportunity for me to, to deploy my eating and napping strategy. Mm-hmm. So yep. I got a, a good nappy lunch, but I didn't get much of a nap. And then that made me really tired. And then I needed a small nap after the nap. And because uh, I had uh, chow mein. So that was probably an error. Yeah. Well, you well you were up late last night drinking and podcasting to almost 1030, right? It was pretty, pretty late. Mm-hmm. There's a phenomenon sometimes. I'm not the drinker that I used to be. It's really a shame. But um, I uh, I thought it occurred to me this morning when I woke up and he had the panicky kind of like, ah, 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 
Like, oh my God, I, I hope the office isn't a wreck. Like, I hope I didn't leave a Ziploc bag full of ice cubes out or something. I haven't seen your office, uh, but I've heard tell of your office, and I'm wondering what exactly about it would be different for you to decide that <laughs> now the office is a mess. Well, here's the funny thing. is I, my, my immediate panic was that I had brought a um, Ziploc bag. into the office. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Rusty. Yeah. Hey, buddy. I brought a uh, Ziploc bag of ice cubes so that I could have my bourbon drink with the ice cubes. And mm. I, I woke up this morning. I was like, ah, I'm pretty sure I left what was then a bag of ice cubes on my dorm fridge. And mm. I thought, uh-oh, because what's going to happen? The standing up comes from the solidity of the ice cubes. And I'm imagining that it's going to melt and go all over the floor. But it would mice, dr- mice will drink that before you come the next day, right? I don't day, have right? mice. I don't have oh, mermaids. Yeah, you're right. You don't have mice. You're right. You have a building in a city, and, but you don't have mice. I feel really lucky. And then, but then there's layers. Because then I got in and was like, well, not only had I had the presence of mind to close up the half bottle of bourbon that was left, mm. uh, almost half a bottle left, and I uh, had also had the presence of mind to um, empty the bag of ice cube water and throw the bag away. Very nice. But I had not, I had not, for example, cleaned up the partially finished final glass of bourbon that was still on my desk, and so it smelled like a bourbon room. Yeah, well, yeah. that. And that, do you have any doubts that uh, you have any concerns that you might have relieved yourself into some container, and you're not sure which it is now? Like, I wasn't it, like, like, no, I wasn't like, no, come on. You do come that on. when you're sober, though. So that's what, what? I'm saying. Like, what, what, my, my bucket? Yeah, but the bucket's got a lid. All right. Well, you know. It's a, anyway, I, <laughs> my I say, jug, my I jug say, has a screw you, on top. You, you could declare open container bankruptcy and say, "Look, at this point, <laughs> any, any container in this room yeah. that has liquid in it uh, that is not sealed from the factory, it's it's a write off, or it's going into yeah. whatever." Do you have? You don't have? A, do you have a sink or a dishwasher? I don't know. It's, yes, yes, I have. I have a bathroom with a with a, a toilet and a sink and a drain in the floor. I don't even really have to use the the floor for the for the bodies, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, my Steve Bannon treatment. Um, No, it's pretty bad. I mean, I'd probably be somewhere on the hoarder scale. You know, yeah, I know. And I heard about I was one of your other programs. I came to track. Um, You were talking about using some items in your office to test your cameras on your fancy uh, phones. Oh yeah, right. Index card, and uh, I forget what the other things were, but one thing in particular stuck out to me. Can you tell me what else was in the photo? Oh, yeah, I'll send it to you. It was um, Michonne. There you go. That's what was My getting Michonne me. doll. That's, uh, that's, what's, that's what's getting me. A lady train. Lady train is the best of all the Thomas trains that we have. She's always been. She wins. Lady train, you know, you get the little battery-operated Thomas trains for the standard tracks. Right, but which, which one are you talking about? Uh, lady is her name. Really, I don't. I'm not familiar with that. I don't, picture, from, I don't, I don't think she features very heavily in the. Oh God, I have to use my trackpad, and I'm terrible with it. Um, and so these photos did not turn out very well. I'm trying to get with Halide. Is that how you anyway, pronounce it? I'm. I'm still. What, okay. what was throwing me is your Walking Dead figurine, and how you're saying the name of that person. Oh, a, na- a name <laughs> oh, that is said. On, man. A name that is said many, many times on television. So I really don't feel like there's some sort of, uh, you know, interpretation that one can have about how this name is pronounced because they say it on the TV show all the time. For many years now, they've said it on the TV show. Okay. Is, so, it, is it Michonne? That's what it is. Okay. Well, I had a crush on a girl who was really cute and her name was Michonne. 
So right. I'm probably right. I'm probably okay. pattern matching. There you go. All look right. at that. Look at that doll though. Can you see that? Look at that in your text, Dingus. Oh, you got the index card. Oh, this is, this is, now I remember which show it was because John was looking at the background and you scolded. This is one of the not very good ones. Yeah, I look at this picture and I think about, uh, is that standard trim molding or would you have difficulty replacing that if some kid rammed something into it and crushed a piece of it and you had to replace it? <laughs> Just I hypothetically. Hate, I, hate, I hate every single person that I know. You're all, each one of you is worse than the other. You're you all know, terrible speaking, friends. Speaking of finish going off the floor, yeah. at least that, you can blame that on your kid. My wife dropped nail polish remover on our hardwood floors in our room and then tried to wipe it up. Oh. And nail polish remover does not mix well with, uh, you know, polyurethane floor finish and trying to wipe it. Not the right thing to do. Would you dab? You think you should dab? Yeah, I mean, I feel like you should just burn the house down and start yeah, over. But start anyway, over, yeah. Uh, yeah, dabbing would be better than wiping. Anyway, it still looks... Look at that Michonne, like though. Isn't she cool? Isn't yes, that a good that figure? Is, that is a cool one. Yep. I really Very like decent. that figure. Not, not, maybe not as cool as your Spider-Man with 8 bazillion degrees of articulation. Oh, but cool. dude, and, he and has that, so much articulation. Yeah. And that Thomas train, I I have vague recollections of it. It's not ringing any bells. I, no, no, to be honest, it's, it's, I don't, I don't, um, lady train... Thomas, I don't remember ever having seen an episode of the show with her in it. But at the time, we were getting really into Thomas Trains. And I'll tell you, man, so you know what I'm talking about. You know those tracks, right? There's a kind of fairly generic wooden track yep. that you can run lots of. And you're meant to mostly just get the kind of trains you push around. But you can get the battery ones. We've got a James, we got a, James okay. a Thomas, a Lady, a Spencer. you got a Henry? He's a good one. Oh, and you got a Henry. we got a Henry. green, yeah. But for whatever reason, Lady Train, we've, and believe me, we've, done, we've run a lot of tests with the trains. Mm-hmm. Lady Train can pull the biggest load. Um, she's the fastest, like in a sprint. Mm-hmm. Um, she's definitely the most powerful. You know, sometimes you got to help them up, especially, you know, it's hard. Have you built these kinds of tracks? They're really fun yeah, to make. No, we, of- we have every Thomas Train thing in the world as of when Alex was that age. I think those are pretty fun sets. And we got the ones where you, know, you get the little riser guys that can go up and there's a couple different ways you can bolster. Uh, I don't know what you call those, but you know, you get the little dippy thing and you make a little hill and then you can yep. make several hills. And, but you know, it's, it's hard with a kid, I, but this must've driven your sense of things crazy. But like, I, I'm very like, okay, we need to do this on a wooden floor. We need to make sure <laughs> we need to make sure you can't do it on carpeting. That doesn't work. Cause now you're going to catch on the little thing that connects them, whatever that's called. Also, she's not real meticulous about making sure you make them go the right way because if you don't build it start the right way, then the gates won't work right. Yeah, there's a lot of slop, and you can some people can sort of like say, ah, oh, these kind of connect at the end, but you're like, no, you have you have missed a piece somewhere way down the line. And these are well, not, uh, I, the right I don't angle. have this tendency in general, I don't think, the, the like, you know, one pencil out of place, Mr. Huff thing. Mm-hmm. But when the whole big track is done and I see that we had to pull a little bit to make yeah, the curve nope. go together. That's wrong. Oh, that's no, no, that's thumbs down. But we did end up doing a lot of it on carpet. Although our carpet is pretty dense, so it mostly worked out. But you yeah. know, a lot of you don't always have to make a loop. That's the thing. A lot of times, the the tracks start somewhere and then end somewhere, and there can be something exciting at the ending, like mm-hmm. a giant junk pit where all the trains fall down. Kind of like the mm-hmm. uh, the memory hole or whatever it's called in uh, Inside Out. Sometimes the trains ended up there. It was a little dark. That's dark. It's super, super dark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was that was a that was a good set. And I think there are certain kinds of kid toys that it has some play value for me, but also I like the build quality. Like we talked about calico critters. Like if you're gonna have little cute yeah. fuzzy dolls, like the the actual sets you get for those are really good. They've got like mm-hmm. the food is cool and the little utensils are really cool. 
Yeah, that should that should be my retirement is the millions of these toys. <laughs> I was going to say stupid toys, but like I said, some of them are actually pretty neat. But then yeah. I look at exactly how many we have, and I try not to do that sort of, uh, you know, Terminator Fight Club VR overlay showing the price <laughs> tags of, of everything that I purchased for these children that they played with for like three years. Oh, that's so interesting that you say that. In, in this new um, lightweight mindfulness meditation thing that I've been doing, you know, the goal, one of the goals with mindfulness meditation is mostly you follow your breath, but you also take notice of thoughts and feelings that you're having and you try to regard them without judgment and without becoming too attached to them, right? So it's okay to have a thought. That's the whole point. You have the thought, the thought goes by and you get back to focusing on your breath. And the whole point turns out, the trick is that you're supposed to be terrible at it. And the more you're realizing it and getting back to it, you're doing really good. And I started discovering, I got really distracted by the number of things I felt bad about having bought. Where I would look at a book, <laughs> I would see a book in a pile and I'd think, oh man, I have so many books I haven't read. That's really lame. <laughs> or like, man, man, you know, we, she goes through these stages with the, the, I mean, and you know, since we've, since the last time we really talked about Shopkins, that market has blown up in like cute little plastic toys it's gone crazy and now we got now we're in the sum sum family of things mm. uh those are actually pretty cute too we got a sum sum yeah. calendar that was really nice but uh i'll look at that sometimes and i'll go oh man that was why did i do that and then i try to get back to my breath yeah my, uh, i don't i don't really have that much of a problem with this my wife has a big problem because she she wants to buy toys Mm-hmm. If, you know, and so now that our kids are have outgrown the millions and millions and millions of toys that they've got, like mostly we're just giving them away, like to you know, big brother, big sister, or whatever, like whoever will take them. Mm-hmm. I don't think they take toys, but anyway, Do the kids like, know like, that when you give them they, away, they don't care. Um, they don't the notice. Imperative is to, I mean, maybe they'll care later when they're in their thirties and they're all bitter, but uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the thing is, she doesn't give away all of them. She always, she has a hold back. She holds back like the really good ones or the ones or whatever. We have so many. Um, right. But uh, I want to do that, want to do that with the stuffed since, animals. I really wish I could sneak out some stuff. Oh animals. yeah, no, we like no one will take those though. Charities won't take those because of like I know, disease vector I know, or whatever. I know, but it's like, but I know there are some that are very precious to her. That's our word for these things. My the mm. things that are precious. I know that some of them are precious, but I also know how I was about that. And like, if I knew that anybody had snuck out any one of my stuffed animals I hadn't thought about, let alone played with in two years, because it's in a big mm-hmm. bucket. Like I would been, I would been crushed. But you had orders of magnitude fewer than your children. I'm I had sure. probably at least half an order of magnitude fewer. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. Anyway, my wife has this compulsion, and now that she can't buy for her kids, it, like it, it would either turn turn inward and destroy her, mm-hmm. or she now is compelled to buy things for other kids. Oh, that's so, like, so nice. You know, she she is so, and not you know, it's not an outlet that can be successfully uh satisfied by buying things for people that she knows because you can't like we have friends who have kids and you know friends and relatives who have young kids but there is there's like social consequences for buying hundreds of dollars of expensive thomas toys for a niece or a nephew like like not all parents want you know it's just kind of weird of like okay well you're buying my kid a bunch of stuff do i want that stuff is this the kind of toy i want my like it's it's more of a you really have to kind of not just get permission but kind of know from the parents like what kind of toys would you find accessible uh acceptable for your five-year-old or whatever Mm -hmm. so to avoid that and to avoid all those things and then like oh what did this relative get versus that one or whatever 
the perfect thing is you can buy toys for strangers. <laughs> and around the holiday season, there are plenty of charities that say, hey, here's a bunch of kids who want presents for Christmas. And we, she's been doing that for years. Uh, and now she's gotten, now it's like a profession uh, where it's like, look, I need, I need, you know, she picks a number of kids, three or four kids, but they all have to be in the same family because if you don't get all the kids in the same family. You get a subset of the family. Mm-hmm. If you buy each kid a new iPhone 10 yeah. and the other kid gets like, yeah. uh, you know, a ring pop. Yeah. Because someone else bought the other kids. So she wants to have the whole family so she doesn't have that problem. And then she buys these kids everything in the universe. Like these kids are having a better Christmas than I ever had in terms of volume and value of toys. Uh, and that's that's her outlet. Um, and I guess it's constructive. That's a really but, good that's a really good project. Yeah, but it is it does seem fraught to me though, because I I do get where she's coming from mm-hmm. about you don't want to do that for one kid. Oh, I know. And like have them Christmas morning open up their new iPhone ten and everyone else, you know got like a, a corncob pipe or whatever. It's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's at least like, as bad as feeling like Santa doesn't like you. In this case, it's actually there's adults out there. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> who are shorting you. This yeah. is, um, this may be a good mini topic if you'd allow it. It'll be after Christmas when this goes up, but still just before the end of the year. Do you want to maybe mention a couple of uh, charities? I hate that word. Are there are there any good causes that you would like to mention? Maybe that you like to give to? I would be happy to mention a couple that I like and admire. Hmm, I mean, my my wife mostly controls all of that, and occasionally she'll run something by me for a thumbs up, thumbs down. One mm-hmm. of the, but it's one of those questions where she already knows the answer, right? <sighs> yeah, and you have to guess what it is. And so, but anyway, um, we do boring, you know, liberal progressive charity stuff like. Planned Parenthood and ACLU and, and stuff yeah. like that. I, uh, um, I, yeah, I got three. I got three. I'm going to say I'm going to say ACLU. Yeah, I, I give you the ACLU every month. Um, I would also say um, St. Jude's uh, Children's Hospital is a yep, very yep. very good cause that I give to. I wish they would stop sending me quite so many mail pieces and emails. Really? Do you get oh, a lot of that? Boy, a lot, I mean, a lot. I've, I've been doing it ever since I've known Stephen Hackett because he's the one yes. who got me on that on that train, right? And, and we basically You really see, now. with Stephen and his family, you really see that this is a very, very good organization who, yeah, I mean, they are, you can go read about it. I don't want to make this into a tearjerker, but they uh, they do some extraordinary work. Basically, if you're, if you have a child with cancer, like, they will take care of it. They will pay for the, all of the expenses, including things like you need to stay in town and stuff like that. They just, at a time that's really horrible in a family's life, uh, they really swoop in. And I've heard nothing but great stuff about them. The other one, um, I haven't done this yet because the website's kind of weird, but I really like the idea of this a lot. Um, my brother, my brother and me, um, they're not directly involved with this, but they kind of like, the, it's fans of the show that help put this together. You can go to mabimbamangels.com. It's also in show notes. And that's kind of what you're, describing here where you can like basically go in and see what people are asking for. They call it like filling in an empty stocking. You can go in and uh, basically donate to things that people need. And it isn't Thomas trains. In some cases it's, it's tents. Yeah. Like and winter coats bags. and stuff like that's actually yeah. where the, where the big money is for these, a lot of these families that they ask for things. It's not like they want a specific thing. It's like, look, I need, I need, uh, you know, it's, we need it's size 10 clothes. Like, I need, I yeah. Winter coats for all the kids, boots, like, you know, just basic things. And then also this kid wants like a baseball or like sporting equipment or whatever. It's, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of vague. So there's a lot of leeway, but um, that, you know, so that's, that's a charity related to podcasts. But the one we do is like through our elementary school. I would say that like, I don't know what to tell you to look for, but locally, like in your town, 
a thing like this probably exists because it's so it is local because it's like the people who ask for it like it's families directly writing down what they want and then you know presenting that to a group it's all it's all super local this is something that could you know there could be a giant like dot commy website that does all this but the ones we always do are local so uh you could do it through the mam thing, but just check if you check your local elementary school or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. And see, see if you can find. I'm just trying. Like I'm this. trying to be specific uh, because if we just say go give to charity, that's not very useful. I'm trying to give people something if they if they had a couple of drinks and want to give some money, like someplace that they can go. Yeah, but but then I think that's fun. Like if you like giving gifts, or if mm-hmm. you like the idea of buying, you know, uh, like the gift part is like. You don't want to know, like, okay, fine, let me just give money. Like, I, this is this is the Amazon URL, the thing I want. Click on it and, and pay. If the ask is, like, winter coat and you're the type of person that says, I want to find a nice winter coat, like, that looks nice, that is good quality, like, that you like that shopping experience, the idea that you're going to spend some time and not just be like, oh, here's a this qualifies as a winter coat, done and done. Like, that you're actually doing it like you're buying a gift that it feels personally, even though you're never going to meet these people and have no idea who they are. And you get to sort of flex your, your shopping muscles to feel like you're, you're getting something that's like quality and going to last. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, something I've done the last couple of years, I'm not having done this a lot, but I've done it for a couple of years and I'll do it again this week is I, you know, honestly, I do most of my shopping with Amazon and I use the school's URL. So, uh, you're checked to see if your school has a URL. Yep. And because they could be getting, um, you know, what, 5% of those sales. That's a good thing. But um, no, honestly, I do miss with Amazon. But there is a really good toy store um, near where Two Cats is in the West Portal. And I, I, I invariably go there to pick up a couple things. And my rule of thumb is when I go in there, I get two, three, four things, you know, last minute things for our daughter. I also try to pick up at least one and some a couple toys that she has loved from when she was a little kid and then just buy those and put them right into the donation box there. That's kind of, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's the best thing in the world, but that feels like a win because the local locally owned toy store is getting mm-hmm. some dough and, uh, and that's just going out to somebody. And yeah, and the reason I think you do this towards the end of the year is like, you're thinking about like tax deductions and stuff like that. So like it just, you yeah. tend to, uh, or, or like you're like us and just procrastinate for the whole year. And then it just all, it's like, Oh, we got to do all our charity stuff. It's almost the end of the year and you just do it all. But I mean, like I think about like, um, like my, um, my, my friends, Matt and Kelly Sue are like, they're very, very progressive and active in their progressiveness. So like, you know, and they're super busy. They make comic books and TV shows and stuff and they're very busy. And so their kid, they have a nanny. And, but like one of the things the kids, kids, both their kids do is they like, they do volunteer work after school is something that they do. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm up for that, but I really admire that. But like, there's something about this is a, this can be a time of year when you're more open to the idea that there could be a little bit more that you could do that, you know, you don't have to make a big deal about it. You don't have to Facebook about it, but like you could, you could make somebody's day a little bit better. And that's, this is a good time of year to notice that feeling and uh, do something nice about it. Hmm. Isn't that nice? It's a very special episode. (laughs) (laughs) Nancy Reagan. Um, not in the child molestation way. Oh, <laughs> how seriously though? How many very special episodes of 80 sitcoms were about child molesters? Like it seemed yes. like a lot. It seemed uh, like child like molesting. Definitely, definitely bad touches. Uh, teen alcoholism. There's a girl with caffeine pills on that one show. That's uh, after our time. Come on. We can't don't front for that. 
It's well, nice. the special episodes I'm thinking of, like if, uh, Different Strokes. Different, yeah, Different Strokes was harrowing. Uh, I think Family Ties had one. Really? Maybe in the Cosby show. There was, yeah, pedophiles were all over sitcoms. There was that, um, <laughs> as long as we're pivoting, what was that TV movie with Richard, the wonderful Richard Masser in it? I think it was called, was it Fallen Angel? But it was this, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was basically like a TV, very special TV movie about a child monster played by this really good actor that I like from lots of things. It was so bad. What were the, but like, oh, I remember Arnold, Arnold, uh, Arnold wets the bed. I remember that one. That was a pretty special episode. Very special episode. Let's go look at TV tropes and see what it says. Yeah, it was the, I forget what the foundation of this, but there was, the, there was some government regulation that some portion of programming had to be like, uh, yeah. Enriching or whatever. So they I think it was in the, in the post Hot Wheels. So basically, there was a big dust up with uh, circa sixty eight, sixty nine, something like that. Um, there was this huge outrage focused heavily at well, the, the sort of the big target of it, if memory serves, became Hot Wheels, where they were like, "Oh my god, wait a minute! You cannot have a TV show about a toy." Right now, there be, there came all this. Then there was regulation about to your point. Then there's regulation about there has to be a certain amount of Community content, right? You've got to do stuff like have public service things. And then there has to be, was it redeemed, like a redeeming social message or something? And that's mm-hmm. why at the end, Mr. T would tell you to, you know, don't, don't be do a fool drugs. School. <laughs> Drink your milk, don't do drugs. <laughs> don't be a fool. We had G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle. They had a whole segment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Live action TV examples. Um, Oh, God, there's a lot. 21 Jump Street, 24. Oh, after school specials. Oh, gosh. Oh, All in the Family. So many. Oh, do you remember when she's uh, she's facing menopause? There was the uh, attempted sexual battery <laughs> episode. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> remember the episode where her husband was uh, a terrible racist and misogynist? Remember that Oh, one? that was a very special episode. There's an episode called Edith's 50th Birthday, where Edith is attacked by a serial rapist. <laughs> So, oh my God, met with universal critical acclaim. The episode showed through Gloria, who recalled her own near run-in, that this is about power. And, okay. Uh, oh God, this is terrible. Archie and the KKK. Mm-hmm. Edith's Crisis of Faith. Uh-huh. Battlestar Galactica. I don't know what it says about me or the time I was growing up or that show or all of them, but my recollection of watching it was and I don't this is obviously not what the show was going for, but me watching it was thinking I mean maybe it was the laugh track that was doing it. I don't know. It was thinking that Meathead was off his rocker. Like he wasn't he he was wrong. He was in the wrong. He was Meathead. Too excitable. He didn't understand how the world really worked. Right. And Archie Bunker uh knew what was up. Even there was though, an element uh, of both both sides um to like him initially especially being portrayed as a uh, not very sensible young man who had who had drunk the Kool Aid, as they say, on lots of liberal ideas, that they were both they were like they were kind of portrayed as being these two ends of the spectrum. They were both wrong right. in their and, way, and that and that Archie Bunker, like the the show, the show was telling me as a youngster, uh, you young kids don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you might have some points, but really, let Archie show you the way. Even though most of the lessons of the show was let's look, let's show you how foolish Archie really is. Like that was right, m- right. much of the show was about that. But every time they were in a scene together, it was like the show was telling me, look at this long haired hippie. He doesn't know anything. Yeah. He's like, he's like a dumb socialist. 
Uh, okay, okay. Uh, different strokes. The very the best known, very special episode was the Bicycle Man. Mm-hmm. Aired during the fifth season, Arnold and Dudley befriend a genial bicycle shop owner. Oh, Gordon Jump from WKRP in Cincinnati. Remember mm-hmm. Mr. Carlson? Yep. Yep. Unaware that he is a pedophile <clears throat> and is buttering them up for a possible sexual encounter. We might need a, a warning on this episode. This, this is the, these shows would air during the day and they yes. were for children, just so everyone knows. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, Vincent and the Doctor. That's kind of a very special episode. I love that episode. It's corny, but it's like. <laughs> is, that, is that one of those Markov chain Doctor Who episodes? <laughs> Genesis of the. <laughs> no, wait. Vincent and the Doctor is an actual title, isn't it? Of yes, the Vincent of course. Van Gogh one? Yes. Vincent and the Doctor. But is that what you're referencing? Vincent and the Doctor, the Vincent Van Gogh episode with uh, Bill Nye. Uh, how did you jump to that from the the pedophile episodes of Different Strokes? I'm scrolling through the alphabetical list of very oh, special episodes. Right. I thought Vincent and the Doctor was the name of some sitcom 80s very special episode. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, who are they? It's like Chico and the Man, right? Vincent mm. and the Doctor. Who would that be? Okay, I know what it is. I know what it is. It's a, it's a young fame, black an episode of Fame, maybe. No, Vincent the Doctor. It's gonna be. It's gonna be. It's only got one season. It's uh, NBC, uh, nine o'clock on Wednesdays. It's uh, it's a black boy uh, who's really smart and precocious who is <laughs> adopted by a former Klansman who's a doctor. His name's Doctor hmm. White. Oh, is that the name of the series? That's gotta be the name of the series. I'm giving it. Vincent and the Doctor is the name of the series that I'm yeah. making up right now. All right. That'll, that'll please pay me seven hundred thousand dollars. It's like Doogie Howser but with lynching. Hmm. You bring in Jimmy Jimmy Smith, you got a sexy stand and deliver. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. Learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com. It's on the internet. When you go there, enter the offer code diffs at checkout, and that'll get you 10% off your first purchase. Listen, team. We're about to move into a very exciting new year. It's very exciting in that it will not be 2017 at last. It's time for you to make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you create a beautiful website for your next idea, get a unique domain, award-winning templates, and so much more. Hey, maybe you want to create an online store, a portfolio, a blog, even a podcast. Hmm? You can do it on Squarespace. More on that in a minute. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. Any of those things, there's nothing to install. There are no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You ain't gonna have to worry about nothing with that because Squarespace has got you covered. It's the end of the year. It's very exciting. Squarespace has award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. If you ever need any help, they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. They have so many top-level domains to choose from. Plus, they have all those award-winning templates. They're just beautifully designed to show off your great ideas. I always want to mention at this point that Ah, the responsive design is so great. Your site is going to look good on any kind of device or dingus with no extra work on your part. Thank you, Squarespace. Now about that podcast thing, I'm here to tell you that I do a podcast called Roderick on the Line. You can find it on the internet or wherever you listen to podcasts, as they say. Roderick on the Line, all done, stem to stern, as they say, with Squarespace. We host the audio there, the show notes, the art, everything. We can go in and look at our analytics If you're that kind of a person, it's all done on Squarespace. I've been using these folks for years, and I can really highly recommend them. Also, you know, they didn't tell me to say this, but given that it is uh, the beginning of a new year coming around the corner, I want to remind you that uh, Squarespace is probably right for somebody in your life. Even if you don't know right this second, somebody's going to come along, a friend, a family member, a teacher, maybe somebody at your church or another community group, scouts, I don't know, your life. I've just got a podcast. But the truth is, at some point, you're going to encounter somebody in your life 
who's going to need a website. And I'm just here to tell you, this is the place to send them. It is so easy to set up. It's going to keep you out of being in the webmaster business, which is a crummy business, okay? You send them to squarespace.com. And the plans start, check this out, just $12 per month. That's hardly any dollars at all. But you can go and start a trial right now with no credit card required. You go to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, please remember to use the very special offer code DIFFS. That's D-I-F-F-S. That's going to get you 10% off your first purchase, and it will show your support for Reconcilable Differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Anyways, yeah, and the after-school specials, oh man, they were really bad. There's Helen Hunt with the PCP. There's the one where, was it Robbie Benson, where he had the girlfriend who was blind and he walked around blindfolded and learned what life was like? <laughs> Family ties. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, apparently Kimberly had bulimia at one point on the different strokes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Other very special episodes include Kim- Kimberly suddenly be- suddenly being bulimic. And that is a trope. The show's Can you res- imagine what it, what it must have, like, Kimberly, the, 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 the actor who played Kimberly. She did, ended up having troubles. Yes, right. And, but, and so she's, she's playing someone with bulimia, probably at that time actually being someone with bulimia. That's not, oh that can't God. be good. That's so weird. <laughs> oh, Facts of Life, Natalie almost. Okay. Oh, of course, you got Jerry. You got Jerry on, on Facts of Life. This is good stuff. This is high quality uh, content. Mm-hmm. George Clooney on that Facts of Life. How about that? Oh, that guy. That guy's handsome. That is a handsome, handsome man. Uh, girls. Mm-hmm. You're what right. What are you scrolling through? What TV Trips page are you scrolling? Is this just the pedophile page? Oh, here. It's, um, I'll put it in notes. It's the uh, live action TV. It's a very special episode slash live action TV. I'll put it in show notes. Wow, there, there are a lot of these. This page goes on for a while. Should we cover all of them? No. This page reminds me that Different Strokes had an apostrophe in the word different. Mm-hmm. Oh, what about you think? Do you think Silver Spoons? What yeah, Silver Spoons? Had, had, guaranteed. Had to have one. Silver. Ooh, I don't see any Silver Spoons. Huh? How is that possible? I don't know. Every, there were so many very special episodes of Silver Spoons. It was a very oh, special show. Every every episode with Aaron Gray, and it was very special. But that's Welcome it. back, Cotter. Oh, Boom Boom is taking uh, painkillers to heal a ba- basketball injury. Oh, nearly gets Horshack hooked as well. <laughs> Everything will be fine for the next episode, just like real life. <laughs> what was, uh, who, was, who was the Puerto Rican guy who was the, the comedian? What was his name? Uh, and, and Welcome Back, Cotter? Not Salami. Salami is from The White Shadow. Oh, I, I got no idea. Salami. Remember Salami on The White Shadow? I don't. Hmm. Ken Howard. That was a good show. <sighs> no. Hmm. Hmm. Two cathedrals. I guess you wouldn't call that a very special episode. No, no. Every 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 West Wing was like that, that same level of intensity and earnestness. That's a good episode, though. I mean, for its type, don't you think? I feel like it's overwrought. A little overwrought, yeah. A lot yeah. overwrought. Hey, it puts out the cigarette. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It makes Max cry. Well, we, t- we yeah. talked about it on the things that make you cry episode. It's it foundational. When mm-hmm. did you talk? Oh, was that in part of the episode that I haven't heard yet? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, challenge, uh, there was a challenge to talk about things that make you cry. And Max had a very, very, very long list. How did I miss that one? Now, wait a minute. Abby on the West Wing. Is that the lady from Leftovers? 
It sure looks like it. Huh. I, um, I don't want to get ahead of my skis here, but um, what did I do the other night? I've been watching a lot of movies. I'm back to watching movies. Uh, I watched Sunshine, mm-hmm. and, which I thought was good, and I liked that a lot. What else did I watch? I watched um, – oh, I finally watched Dunkirk. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. Oh, oh boy, I bet it was amazing. I bet the sound was crazy in the theater. Yeah, I don't think – I mean, it's not – I didn't dislike the movie, but I'm glad I saw it in a theater because what value there is to be had from that movie is enhanced by mm-hmm. seeing it in a theater, right? Uh, yeah, well, no, no, I mean, no spoilers for Dunkirk, but um, I mean, the, the, when we would see, it was heavily trailered for months, and it was mm-hmm. a very loud, very, like Chris, like many yes. Christopher Nolan movies, the sound design is so huge, and such a big part of it is warm sound that he likes and all those. Um, but I really, I liked the movie a lot. The movie was weird. Yeah. And very Christopher Nolan in a way that I think I like, but there's something there's something about Christopher Nolan movies. He does this thing. It's hard to describe, but he does this thing where he intercuts between lots of things happening. And he overtly does this in Dunkirk. With Dunkirk, there are three different uh stories that are very related and he tells it in I think a very interesting way the way he uses time is very interesting as always with Christopher Nolan. But you ever notice like he does this thing, he even does this in Dark Knight. Where like he he cuts between like little snippets of two lines of dialogue between people, and he'll cut away to a couple snippets of dialogue from other people. Then he'll do a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? It almost feels like a trailer for the movie you're watching. Yeah, Dunkirk uh, kept me more at a distance than a lot of his other movies because mm-hmm. I felt like he was doing that, but I never a I could never tell which one of the three Paul didn't, didn't was the settle main down one because it didn't there really weren't any. Settle down. And B, it kept me it kept me away from the characters. Like mm-hmm. I know I was supposed to identify with you know one or two characters in each thread but this movie kept me at a distance from them like i was always felt like i was watching them i never felt like i was there with them if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. no i i do agree and he does have that that is i think kind of a hallmark of what he does but it's funny because it got to the end of the movie i was like yeah this is a pretty good movie and um there's a scene at the end of the movie that involves a plane landing that i found incredibly moving for some reason do you remember how yep i remember it and I don't, I don't, I can't exactly tell you why, but I almost cried. It was yeah, this, a combination was, of imagery and, so, uh, and so moment. Ex- and he is, I just love that actor so much. I always covering up his pretty oh, mouth. Was, was that a Hardy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't spoil the movie for people, but I mean, it is a historical event from the yeah, 30s, 40s. Yeah. No spoilers. But, uh, but I mean, I also, the weird thing about that is I, I feel like, uh, you know, Interstellar, for me is the opposite of that. I don't feel like I'm kept at a distance from those characters. I feel like I'm sucked right into them. And whether it's because Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway, you know, are not reserved actors, let's say, right. Uh, I feel totally sucked in by that movie uh, in, in a way that, uh, you know, the same way that I'm kept at a distance by Dunkirk. Anyway, it was an interesting movie and I would recommend it. People check Interstellar. It out. I, I've given so much thought to Interstellar since watching it and having kind of mixed, partially watching it several times, finally watching it, and having kind of mixed feelings about it, as I've said before. But with a little bit of distance from it, I feel like that is, this is a dumb thing to say. It's definitely one of those movies that's going to land on you real differently, depending on, meh, let's start with how old you are, like where you are in life, and really how you're feeling that afternoon when you watch it. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's some kinds of movies, like, I don't think you're, I mean, I think Caddyshack or Trading Places or any other problematic movie let's, from let's the 80s. Let's, 
All right, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, let's pick something less, less problematic, like, a, like do, you a Raiders to, of, do you ever listen to Defocused? Because Dan, uh, sometimes yes. Dan, oh god, he makes Dan makes Joe watch all of these movies that Dan really liked in the eighties, and you go back and watch them, and like, oh my god, like, oh no, oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> oh the whole conceit of Animal House is bad. Like, I kind of knew, I mean, you knew that Porky's was bad. You knew yep. that that was, as they say, problematic. But, like, Trading Places has some stuff in it. Like, it's pretty, wow. yeah, it's got that gorilla, uh, you know? That's why, I, that's why I'm afraid to go back and watch, like, Coming of America, which you think is like, oh, that, but that's modern. That's not like Trading Places. That's modern that's Eddie Murphy, right? I'm sure it'll be, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'll be fine, right? And I just, yeah, right. I don't want to find out. No, no, because somebody, there's, there's like a, you there's plenty of uh, intersectional uh, inappropriateness because mm-hmm. if it isn't the black people that are being treated badly, you can be pretty darn sure the women in almost all that movie, yep. all those movies are going to be treated really badly. My daughter has learned about the Bechdel test, which is kind there of interesting. There you go. It's a good thing for her. She picked up my copy of Fun Home, mm-hmm. which I should have hidden. Um, and so what was I going to say about – yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, what was the point? That, 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 that 80s movies. But Interstellar – like, you know, I, I kind of wish I could reboot and see Interstellar for the first time on that right afternoon where it would have landed on me better. All, all the way through or just the partial again? I thought it, it was insufferable. Like, no, I thought it was insufferable. I thought, I thought it was the first couple I know, times. I know, but I was saying like that approach of you like making several attempts and then getting through seemed to work for you. Like maybe more than going through once the first time would have, right? right. Because you because you kept coming back to it, like oh, but you know, but maybe there's more. Like that it was there was something in it tantalizing enough for you to say, let me take another run at this. Yeah, but I mean, in my own defense, uh, I just think life is too short, and there's other stuff to do. And I, I know that's that's not your point of view, but like for me, like if I, I get part way into that, I think in that case, especially in the first act, boy, his movies have so much more in common than than I. Like, you know, he's famous for stuff like the first shot of the movie, I think, in almost all of his movies, the first shot you see will end up being very important. It's like a, not a clue, but like he's going to return to that. Like the mm-hmm. hat's out in the field or in um, in uh, The Prestige or like the dust on the shelves in Interstellar mm-hmm. or yep. uh, what's the Dark Knight? I forget how. It's got the heist at the beginning. But um uh, no, you know what it is? It's like, I think in that case, the first act of that movie, um, some people are going to buy in on a movie like that super easy. And again, let's always look, let's, let's always turn to something like Synecdoche, New York, where I am the weirdo in the room. And like I, that, as like I've said to you, that movie wrecks me. I don't expect anybody to like that movie except for me and possibly you or to be that moved by such a stupid movie. Um, but Interstellar, I don't think it serves him well to do those like, it's got some very silly lines in it, first of all. Some very, very silly <laughs> but, but, for like, okra. The thing, the thing is, know? the rest of the movie is whatever the opposite of naturalistic is. The rest mm-hmm. of the movie is so Cinematic. not magical reality, not surreal, but it is like it's everything is heightened. Very heightened, the, the yeah. The ridiculous mm-hmm. dialogue I'm willing to go with because it matches the unreality of the rest of the movie. Like the whole thing is like a like a parable or something. Like the, the pivotal, uh, what's her name, Anne Hathaway? That, that yep. one pivotal line that we've had some words over, like, mm-hmm. you know, how you what how much you buy into that particular line at that time in the movie. I mean, we'll say a lot about whether that movie's going to land for you. Yeah. Or I mean, like I think when we talked about this before, there's a difference between what the movie is trying to say to the audience and what a character is saying in the movie. And you, you get them tangled up when you when you think this character is speaking for the movie. 
when mm-hmm. I, in this particular case, I'm willing to go with the fact that this character is speaking for herself. Mm-hmm. And, okay. yeah. and I'm not, I'm not even sold on the idea that the movie wants me to believe what she's saying is just, it's a moment and this is her moment. Right. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. When I think about motivation or when I think about anything in fiction, I've never had any cause or opportunity to use this idea in any kind of like a professional setting. But like, you know, there's things that they teach you in uh, learning about fiction, especially if you're writing fiction or you're writing a play. And I mean, I'm not an expert on this stuff, but like, you know, one of the things they'll tell you is that the people in your play or your movie you know, should be doing this. They should talk like people talk normally. They should do things that people do. And conversely, they shouldn't do things that people never do unless there's a point to doing it that way. And that they shouldn't say things that nobody would ever say in that situation. This is why TV tropes is such a funny thing is that there are, you know, there's the whole, as you know, Bob kind of situation that comes along. Like no, nobody, no two people who are officers on a starship would talk about the way the laser beam works like that. That's, that's for us. Right. So you buy into that or you don't, but the way I think about it sometimes that enriches these things for me is I think about when I think about the motivation of a character, like what, why everybody in a scene has something that they want, right? That's something we all kind of understand in basic dramaturgy. Everybody in a scene has something that they want. Everybody probably has something that they really don't want. I also, I also think it's interesting to think about when people are, are, uh, are saying things that they even maybe they don't believe that there's something that they don't want revealed about them. There's a motivation that they're not aware of. And I, I don't always consciously process that, process that while I'm looking at a, a piece of literature, but there are times when that definitely goes through my mind, especially if it's something I've watched two, three, four times. I think it's very interesting to go back and run through that array, right? Like, you know, what, what did that person want to get out of this? What are the things that we, they don't want us to know about them? I don't know. That enriches characters for me. If, if they are a richly drawn character, you can often suss that stuff out and oftentimes really answer that question uh, for yourself by the end of the movie or the play. I know what you're getting at with like not having the characters do things that don't make any sense, like, you know, discussing things for the, for the sake of the audience or doing silly things that, that are only for the furthering of the plot. But there's still that spectrum. I'm sure there's real words for people who know about film school literature. I don't know those words. I didn't, you know, I was, whatever. I was an engineering major. Um, but the the spectrum between actually talking like people talk in real life, which obviously the greatest example of that is like if you see a documentary where they just put, point a camera to a bunch of people, that is more or less people talking the way they talk in real life once they get used to the cameras. And at the other end of the spectrum is the way you have to make your characters talk in a movie where you only got two hours and you're trying to tell uh, like a, a, a much longer story, you have to do time compression. You have to do meaning compression. You don't have time for the 20 minute convert. Like in real life, there's a half an hour knockdown drag out fight between a, t- a couple that's breaking up right in a movie. If you want a couple to break up, you can't show that 30 that minute minutes. fight. Yeah. You get, you get three lines sometimes. Right. And so you have to imbue those lines with all of the meaning and nuance and feeling and subtext that would be in the 30 minute conversation. And that's what makes the writing different. And no person would ever be able to articulate, you know, the dissolution of their marriage in four uh, extremely well-crafted lines. But that's what you have to do to get that, to get all that emotion and drama out in the time allotted. So you have to write not naturalistically if that's your goal, but there is a form of movie making. That's not a documentary where the whole shtick is actually in this movie, I'm going to, 
luxuriate in having people speak the way they really do. And a lot of times that can knock people's socks off. It's like, oh, this, this something is different about this movie. It doesn't seem very movie movie. And it's, you know, they're usually artier and not as yeah. broadly popular because generally you don't want to see that. You want to see people who are more attractive to you being attractive than you being smarter than you and saying things in incredibly compressed nuggets that convey tons of meaning in a short period of time. But occasionally, I mean, maybe that's a little bit what Mumblecore is about, but I'm not familiar enough with the genre to know. But occasionally you do want a movie that's more naturalistic. And I and honestly, well, shading towards our topic here, mm-hmm. that is a little bit of the appeal of documentaries because mm-hmm. it's like it's like a movie. Uh, it's moving pictures and it's live people being filmed, but they're not speaking in movie dialogue or play dialogue, you know. And then it's also the editing decisions of the filmmakers that drive a lot of the narrative. I have I should add a huge bucket of asterisks to what I said because what I said sounds ridiculous. I, I'm I'm not saying that dialogue in a player movie has to sound like the way people talk in real life. I, I didn't mean that at all. I I meant more like th- sort of thematically or in context. You know, as you know, Bob is more the example of what I'm what I'm talking about yeah. here. Like that, those kinds of things can take really take you out. Whereas at the other end, I mean, look at Shakespeare. Uh, look at Deadwood, look at Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, like, you know, and I, I fully understand why for any variety of reasons people can't get with Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, but I think it's sumptuous. I, I love that kind of very heightened musical dialogue. And it doesn't, it doesn't take you out of what's going on. If anything, it draws you much further in, in that little, that tiny little crummy office with the people talking in these very ornate ways, you know, and, or even, even just something like having a character, something as simple as a decision to have a character who speaks slowly and does not use contractions can make a huge difference, right? Somebody who speaks very slowly and very purposefully, like I can, I can buy into that. You take somebody or you take somebody like a, uh, who's the guy who looks like a thumb in uh, daredevil. Like, you know that he's a ridiculous character. <laughs> Wallace Shawn? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you mean, you mean the big bad and yeah. Daredevil. <laughs> Never going into a land war in Asia. Never go up against the Sicilian when death is on the line. There you go. Pretty close, right? You got a second time. (sighs) What was the first part? What's the the Uh, Land War Nation? uh, You fall for one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in Land War (laughs) Nation. But only slightly less well known is this. Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> That's, uh, the problem with those speeches is I think I have them memorized, but I'm sure I'm missing words. Like because it, it changes in your mind uh, as you repeat you. it. it. Dogs you. Yeah, I've repeat I've repeated it in my head more times than I've seen it now. So now now I, I have my I, own I thing hate in my to head. Tell you, but your your trust in yourself is getting worse and worse. You abandoned. That is that is inappropriate. Don't you feel like that is founded? <laughs> you uh, maybe, but the funny part is like you, for for the longest time, I I've thought it's funny. That you don't really tell a joke, <laughs> you you more like you sort of like frame a joke in bullet points without actually telling it, which is oh, terrible. With you, I'm usually trying to remind you of yes. a joke that we both know. Yes, yes, yes. I know, I'm I know. But on ATP, you your your bailout rate is getting very very high because now that now that Marco and Casey have made it a very primary bit that they refuse to even. Of course, there's references that they understand. There's no way they don't know some uh, of those that's references. That's what you think. But you think, you think Marco show, really I, doesn't I know? In, I check in with them sometimes. I'm like, did you catch the whatever? And I, I believe them when they say that. Like, you hear, you just heard last night the movies that Marco hasn't seen. It is really, it is really beyond your imagining. It's so strange. Um, let's see. Before we get to our uh, main topic, are there any other little things that you would like to touch on? Yeah, I would like to at least uh, address the uh, 
the elephant in the room, which is the Last Jedi. Uh, the oh, reason yes, please, we are please, not please, yes. the reason we are not currently uh, entering hour two, talking about the Last Jedi, is because one of us has not yet seen it. So yeah, hang in there, folks. We got we family tickets for uh, for next week. We're going to go see it at Alamo Draft House. Don't be creepy. And uh, I'm real, uh, real excited. How are you? What was your spoiler policy on this? Were you, did you care about it? Were you trying to do something? Or you just yeah, casual? right. Well, I mean, to until l- 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 a month or two ago, it was total like full media blackout, as in the like cover your eyes and hum, right thing. That it became difficult to do that. I. I did a Syracuse esque thing where even when I like was forced to be around the trailer or a poster, like I went into a certain mode where like it was I was like like I was going through a personal trauma. I said said to my brain, do not encode this. Do not remember any you of this. Start looking at your shoes a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But now the problem is the movie is out and I am given yeah. to believe that people have extremely strong feelings about it, and brother, is it hard. Well, not for you, but for somebody like a normal person like me, not a pod person who does things like look at Twitter moments, it's very difficult to avoid. I like to keep up with what's going on. Yeah, you know? that's 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 part of it. Like here, even though I've already seen the movie twice now and oh, have wow. Wow. and like and I'm not avoiding anything anymore. I've seen the movie twice. Like I'm totally open to it. I see lots of conversations on Twitter and in various private channels and Slacks talking about other people's reactions to the movie, like people who aren't in those Slacks talk about like popular just like what you just alluded to popular reaction to the movie and to me in a weird way i mean we'll talk about this after you see but in a weird way it's almost like it's academic like i don't feel like i'm exposed whatever it is that everyone is talking about like the meta discussion i don't feel like i have yet experienced the thing that they're talking about so i feel like this is this other island somewhere where everybody who has strong opinions about this movie is mm-hmm. but everybody that i talk to and interact with doesn't have those opinions and maybe i'm just behind maybe i just need to read more articles and think pieces and listen to more podcasts where where people are actually angry about it and stuff but so far it it is something that doesn't seem real to me that i don't feel like i'm experiencing so mm-hmm. that's weird but anyway I, but i feel for you because i mean that's another reason i want to see the movie asap not just because of spoilers but because even just knowing that there is a polarizing reaction or that everybody loves it or that everybody hates it or whatever whatever the reaction may be or everybody's bored by it like some sort of vague reaction it influences how you take in the movie because now you know this thing is out there and now you're like calibrated against you know i don't know man i'm feeling pretty i'm feeling pretty tabula rasa about it i mean i like like i said that my mode has been like escape 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 (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. escape reject so um now i'm ready to just go in and see it as a movie and i mean honestly i i you know let's talk about after i've seen it but like i'm just ready to go in and take it on its terms you know, yeah, I think I think you'll be fine because you tend mm-hmm. not to get too hung up on what other people are thinking about it. I'm not, I'm, but uh, trying to predict how you come down on it, I have, I mean, based on everyone else I've talked to, I have to think you'll be more like every other person who I've podcasted and chatted about it in Slack, in, in that you will also be sort of a non-combatant in whatever this big kerfuffle is about this movie that is happening somewhere that is not in my circles. We'll see. Uh, there is there's a part of me. I don't have time to go into this. There's a part of me that has really started to wonder, have we always been this tribal and bellicose about trivial things? Or how, what is the extent to which things like Twitter, Twitter being a place to quickly 
publish a hot take in front of a lot of people or even a few people. Have we always been this bellicose or, or are we becoming more combative about things that we don't need to have that strong of an opinion my, about? My theory, I don't want to get too deep into this, but my theory on that is it's related to two things. One, I think you, we've all seen that diagram where people try to trace out connections in Twitter and they color code a bunch of dots, red and, and uh, blue to show like uh, the sort of the polarization of left-leaning and right-leaning people on Twitter. Have you seen those Probably diagrams? The, bu- the bubbles, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh, look at this. these it's two crazy. clouds, yeah. and they they barely little touch. And then, two, John Roderick did that thing recently where he actually used Twitter, like not just through oh, Instagram. Did you see what was, was a resolution to that? Uh, I think I saw most of it. Yeah, uh, tell, anyway, tell he, people what he did. Yeah, he did a tweet, and he was like, I uh, I want to hear from somebody who is a Roy Moore supporter, uh, and so please uh, retweet this. Quote, it's obviously quote, tweet, most of his quote, followers are not going to be Roy Moore support, like, and, and who lives in Kansas or whatever. There's some criteria, like not just like, oh, you're a Republican or you're conservative, but I want to see how long it takes this tweet fired off from the 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 beating heart of uh, you know <laughs> progressive, progressive <America>. Twitter <laughs> <Yes>. to <laughs> ha- will it eventually find its way to an actual real life Roy Moore supporter supporter in Alabama, mm-hmm. and how long will that take? And it was out there for a couple of days and it got a couple hundred retweets and mm. he did hear from people who live in Alabama and people who are conservatives. But I don't, as far as I'm aware, he never actually heard from a Roy Moore supporter. You can follow up with him on that on on, uh, on uh, your other program to mm-hmm. see what the deal is. But but anyway, both of those things, those dot diagrams in this experiment are, you know, showing the idea of like that the circles don't actually mix that much. But my... My idea about the, your question about or have we always been this tribal and so on and so forth is that things like Twitter, Twitter specifically, but social media in general, but Twitter specifically, the reason it seems to be as rough and tumble as it is, I think, is because it causes these groups to rub up against each other more than they did in the past. I know the diagram looks polarized, but mm-hmm. the old way was you just go to your job and talk to your colleagues uh, and you all agreed on everything because of where you live and what your income is and what your upbringing is or whatever. And you never had occasion to actually. And like we said to Dan recently, like you're you're you, you're going to run in to who's the important caveman, Korg. You're, you're going to run into everybody at the campfire. You have to mend your fences because you're near these people all the time. Uh, but but really, because if you don't fit in with them, you will you'll move like you'll go someplace else. You won't like it won't you won't feel part of the unit like that. That, that people are segregating themselves by ideology and like it, it, like geographically and just in all other ways, like you would never have occasion to. And then the Internet makes it. I don't care where you live. The Internet makes it so one on one, you plain old regular individual private person and you plain old regular individual private person. Now you are face to face. Mm-hmm. You would never have been face to face before, right? You would never, and so I feel like face to face, figuratively, so like that they're tweeting right at you because okay, somehow yeah. someone sent something, sent something, sent something, and it hopped over five degrees of Kevin Bacon. It gets over to them, and now they're come jumping into your thing, throwing at mentions at you. Those groups would never have known. Those people would never even known the other exists. They'd just be off in their own separate worlds. And so I think the internet in general is t- bringing people together. That before we're separate. And, you know, that's the thing we love about it is like if you are super into model trains and there's no one into model trains in your town, the Internet can connect you with the hundreds of people who are into model trains who are farther away than you would ever travel. You know, that's the beauty of the Internet. The other side of it is people with wildly differing opinions who would never have occasion to rub up against each other at all are now essentially in the same phone booth. 
Like, you know, huh. there's no, there is no distance. You go from infinite distance to face-to-face instantly. And, and your, your first contact is hostile in the phone booth. Yeah, but it's going to be hostile because those people, you know, believe that, like, whatever. Like, they're white supremacists. And, right, you know, there's, there's right. the hostility is inherent in the positions. But before, you were so separated that you would never, like, they either actively avoid each other or didn't even know each other exist. And now, Twitter, despite these polarizing diagrams and everything... There are lines between them, and there, and every one of those lines, like distances, doesn't matter anymore. Distant, you are, right. you are never like mm-hmm. we've seen it with all the sort of harassment problems and everything. You are one millisecond away from yeah. a giant truckload of Nazis landing on your hell on your head, but that would never happen. Like it's like in my town, no Nazis live here, and they're not going to come here. And if they did, like it wouldn't be the same. But now on the internet, no, zero Nazis, and then. A millisecond later, they're all there, right in your right, face. Right, right, right. And, and I say bellicose because also it is like a war in the sense that I was thinking about this watching Dunkirk. Actually, it's you know when you're a soldier, you're trained to become a killing machine, and you get pointed at other killing machines. You know, <laughs> good father, <laughs> f you. Like I, you don't you don't care about that other person as a human being because that is the nature of war. The nature of war is that you are a killing machine that's been pointed at other killing machines. And so when you run into that, I'm mixing my metaphors now, but when you're in that, <laughs> when you're in the bellicose phone booth, like you are not going to go, you're going to, the thing you'll mainly notice is how terrible their smelling there is. And that proves that they're a Nazi and that they are, and like you will use any means necessary to take them down and bring your flying monkeys along with you. Or you'll, I mean, just be shocked and outraged that people who have this incredible opposite opinion of you exist and you'll want to yell at them and correct them. And then other people will jump in and it's just, ugh, yeah. So anyway, mm-hmm. I think that's just something that, that has occurred to me watching these, the, the polarization. But I, I really think almost everything having to do with the internet is an amplifier for things that were already there, but that were, that were separated, not going to say artificially separated, but that were separated by <laughs> things that the internet overcomes, time, distance, language you know, uh, all the communication barriers is very, it's just straightforward. Like all, all the barriers that kept people away from each other, uh, are overcome by such a large degree by the internet, by, you know, by virtual and by, but even then, and this probably goes back at least as far as Usenet, but there's also that sense of like, well, we've all elected to be in this little, now we, we have a tribe and we're in this particular group and there's a certain culture that we mostly agree with and we have our differences, but it makes the perfidy all the more unbearable. Like if you feel like somebody's being counter-revolutionary, in the middle of your revolution, then you might as well frag them, right? That's the other thing was like when we start attacking each other and the people we would normally consider an ally because we, they should know that, that it's unacceptable to go against orthodoxy in well, that particular yeah, way. And I, and I think Twitter, Twitter specifically, uh, it's not just like the internet, it's what you happen to build on. Twitter specifically has a problem there because the thing you're describing where, you know, the progressives are killing each other over who's being the right kind of progressive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that and, and even some of the other conflicts to some degree seem to me to be founded in the lack of tools for building protected spaces, whether that's protected spaces within your, you know, people who are on the same side as you, essentially, mm-hmm. or protected spaces from the others. If because Twitter is just like whenever they show the diagram with the dots, the, the only thing in the diagram is a big square around the whole thing. All dots are inside the square. The square is called Twitter, Right. Mm-hmm. And all you can do is X out some docs with blocking, but, you, you know, uh, whatever, the Watchmen thing, yeah, you know, I'm not trapped in here with you. You're tra- we're all trapped mm-hmm. in there with each other. Right. Um, there are no tools in Twitter to make a little sub-community, whereas Slack is essentially a sub-community. And the reason people like Slack is now I have a tool 
to make a place on the internet with not walls, but with like where it's not where it's not like a hundred percent homogenous. We're all just in one giant thing together, and I think within within groups who might have you know minor differences, it's healthy for them to be able to segregate into areas where where you can they can talk about things in a constructive manner without someone from this slightly different group, you know, the, whatever it is, the uh, people's something of Judea, but I can't, I mean, I'm so the far people's off front of Judea and the Judea, yeah. Judea and people's front. Right. Where, they, where Wankers. they're not, one of them isn't jumping in and saying, <laughs> actually you're doing the, the well, you're trying to get to the same thing I'm trying to get to, but you're doing it wrong because they're off in their own little area. Like they're, and in real life, again, this is, you know, geography and other associations. And like, you don't, you know, you don't happen to if you if you walked by one of them in the supermarket, they're not wearing the last thing they said on their sleeve in the same way that your Twitter timeline is always yes. representing you. And Twitter is just one big giant soup. So it's it's just causing us. It's like a big fizzy drink. Just we're all in there and they're shaking it up and there's no place. So, you know, so we retreat mm-hmm. to other areas where we have and you, news groups getting back to what you're saying before. At the very least, news groups gave you a place to hide you know, wreck arts, my little pony furry. Like you could mm-hmm. go in there and yeah, people occasionally would come in and start bashing stuff up. It wasn't like Slack where you could potentially keep them out, but at least it was like, this is our home mm-hmm. and that's their home. And you know, you could, you could try to make little places for yourself. This episode of reconcilable differences is brought to you in part by app optics. You can learn more about app optics right now by going to appoptics.com slash differences. Here's, it all comes down to this. Application monitoring should not break the bank. If application monitoring is breaking your bank, you got to go to AppOptics because AppOptics is a next-gen application performance management system built specifically to help developers and DevOps teams trace distributed transactions through their complex environment. Listen, I've read this thing several times and I still don't know exactly what that means, but I can tell from the words that they're including in this that this is a very good service. It's a next-gen application performance management system, okay? That's what you call APM, and App Optics is what you want to get for that. App Optics includes broad APM, language support with auto instrumentation, okay? Simple and easy to use infrastructure monitoring, which is all built in, and it's all supported by a large open community. I'll tell you two things I love about a community. I like it to be large, I like it to be open. And that's what you got to love about App Optics. Their plans start at just $7.50 a month, which is not very much money at all. And you can go and learn more right now at appoptics.com slash differences. Our thanks to App Optics for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. I mentioned this on Back to Work today, but um, on a recent episode of Double X Gabfest on Slate, they were talking about just the whole kind of idea of Slack and women and feelings about how, you know, just that Slack as a thing. And is it, can, can, that there's ideas out there that Slack can be beneficial to women in in ways that help, can help like any tool, obviously it can be abused, but that it can help address some kind of classic problems with how we communicate with each other. And uh, I don't think they landed on any final super strong opinion, but they all seem to kind of agree that, yeah, like, one nice thing about Slack is in addition to the stuff that any gender would appreciate, the fewer emails, you know, but like, um, who was it? Um, June Thomas in particular was saying like, you know, 
she's a Scottish lesbian woman and she feels like she still kind of catches herself when she does an email to somebody, especially if she doesn't know them well, like having to feel like she has to do the compliment sandwich whenever she writes to them. Like that, that's, you know, that women are basically been trained to be very careful about how they ask people for things and to do it in a way that is very uh, humble, maybe even apologetic has an excess of words and you know, the people have gone in and analyzed the emails of men versus women and like how very, very different they tend to be. But um, I think that's one nice thing about that can be a nice thing about Slack. Again, it's a tool you can abuse it, but the slacks that you and I are on, I think are terrific in that way. It's like, you know, like in, in our case, the Slack that we have for this show has what six people on it. And I think it functions really well. It's a great way to be able to just pop in. And with this single, this is not an ad for Slack, but it's a great way to just be able to pop in and do the business that needs to be done. And you don't have to wait for somebody to answer an email. And often it's not somebody when we're in the heat of getting an episode out, like people are responding quickly. I'm trying to get to you before ATP starts. Don't always make it. But you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think that's really, I think that part is very valuable, but there's all kinds of reasons why that is. It's not just because it has the name Slack on it. It's also that like, it is an opportunity for you to find better angels in your culture, whether that's your work culture or your, your podcast network culture or whatever it is. It's also nice that you can always break it off into a separate group, you know? And in the case of like the relay slack, I mean, Steven's not a Martinet about it, but he's like pretty clear about, Hey, the host channel is just for business, right? Briefcase, business, business, business. Like don't, this is not for shucking and jiving and people mostly respect that. So this general area, you can go do whatever you want. If you want to talk about Dr. Who, that's over here. You want Star Wars spoilers? That's over there. Ditto for the incomparable. And I, I don't know. I think, you know, as John Syracuse says, thumbs up. That's the system works. Yeah, like for the, uh, I think the reason uh, I didn't hear this thing you're talking about with the women uh, feeling like Slack can be benefit, but uh, as you said, it's, it's because the, the Slacks we're talking about in this case are private Slacks. Like no mm-hmm. one can join them. So the reason you I don't mean, get it's, ran- randos you, and drive-bys, you get to hear how women would talk to each other with men aren't there because if all the men that are in the private Slack with them are trusted friends, then they can be themselves and they don't have to do they don't have to perform the thing you were just describing. Like essentially to, to be successful and productive, you know, in, in, in the modern, in the modern patriarchy or wherever you want to phrase it, like, you know, it selects for the women who defer and are submissive and are, you know, are like are excessively polite and because, but, but also you, have a sense of humor about it. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Like they, they have to perform this way to, to, survive the the systematic oppression of the whole rest of the world and they make their own private spaces of when they're talking to their family or their spouse or their girlfriend or whatever that that's the that's the time that they can be themselves and that every other time they're they're doing this terrible performance that the world forces them to do if they want to be successful because the world is terrible right um and so slack in its best case provides it's just simple electronic fences for uh, a small group of people. And you can either see the women go silent, leave or start performing again. If the group of people who are there uh, aren't trusted, don't feel like they are, you know, that the, the they're, that they're part of the, the, the outside world's oppressive systems. And now that's like either the choice is either just stop talking and find someplace else to say the thing you wanted to say or start performing and, you know, putting lots of smiles and exclamation points and compliment sandwiches around things, but they're not going to do that. Cause like, what the hell is the point of even being there? Um, so yeah, like, that's, that's one of the, the roles that Slack in particular, private uh, Slacks have provided. And that's, you know, like I said, in Twitter, there are no tools for that. And Usenet, right. there were, there were fences, but they were transparent. Like really, 
you weren't keeping people out. Like it was kind of a lot like Twitter where you had your kill file, but eventually if, you know, if, if the Nazis are all coming into your, you know, Jewish culture group constantly, you would have to abandon and find a new group because you, there's so many, you can't kill file anymore. It's very, it was very much like Twitter writ small mm-hmm. back then. All right. All right. Uh, I can't find a link for this and we should get to our topic, but I thought I, I saw something in passing today uh, that sounded interesting. And I, if you can find a link, help me out. But I think I heard, if I heard this correctly, I might've dreamed it, that Amazon is doing, is going to introduce a new policy where I think this is so interesting. You're not going to be able to leave reviews until and unless you've purchased $50 worth of stuff on that account. So I'll just let you sit with that for a minute. I think that's I think, a good way to make some money because the uh, all the bot reviewers are like, the economics right. that work out for us just fine. Just tell us what if we could buy fifty dollars worth of air, let us just do it now. I don't know, dude. I think I think if you charged I think if you charged a nickel to post a review, it would help. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it won't help the the uh, the quality. It will, but I'm saying the actual co- the benefit of fake reviews is so much more than fifty dollars, right? I suppose so. Yeah, and I I run that one thing. I talked about this on back to work, but it's I think it's called is it called um, fake spot? I think it's called. And I was saying that Dan and I were texting about this today. That you know, like the Twitter robot identifier, it gets a lot of false positives, but it's still very interesting. So FakeSpot uses something like AI to go in and like compare what that person posted. So you, you point it to a, you know an ASIN page and FakeSpot.com and it goes through and analyzes all the reviews and the reviewers and there are other reviews and finds common words and it's able to sometimes pull out like some crazy patterns. You've seen this where you go and there's a product that's been out for two months and it's got 5,000 reviews and most of them are four stars and higher. It's like really improbable, mm-hmm. but um, I think that's super interesting. I mean, that uh, just because it just feels like I, you don't want to create these tiered systems if you don't have to, but uh, you know, it's not a democracy; it's their business. I, I think that I don't know. I like tricks like that. You know, the mailing list that can only have seven members, things that introduce scarcity. I think, at least as an experiment, can be very interesting. I still think it would be very. We, have we ever officially talked about reviews as a thing on here? I don't remember. Put it on there. Uh, that's a good idea. We should. Well, we talked about your your very helpful. Review no, no, about no, 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 no. But I mean, like, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've decided not to let. You're not going to bother me anymore. I've decided it's not going to happen. You're not going to bother me anymore. I'm letting it go. That's, that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, good resolution. Leaf, leaf on the wind. But um, you know, the idea of introducing scarcity, as we've seen with many you know kinds of things, um. I don't know, sometimes it's really cheesy and crummy, but other times it actually can really improve it. I think that makes a ton of sense. Not not just for the fake reviewers, but for the terrible reviewers. You know? <laughs> the, yeah. Or the people who just go in like the and like, you know, it seems crazy to me that there's a badge that you get where they can certify that you bought this from Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's like that's crazy. Nobody should be allowed to post a review unless you can show that they bought it from Amazon, I think. I don't know. Yeah, uh, one one of my favorite things. Uh, this is not strictly on reviews, but it's about Amazon. Uh, that like the the review problems. I mean, we'll we'll put it in the in the topic list and we'll talk about it again some other time. But it, yeah, there's a lot of problems with reviews. But one of my favorite features that Amazon has added in the past what five years or so is the Q and A section be- because it doesn't oh, yeah, frame yeah, yeah. it. It it's doesn't also frame funny. it. It's also sometimes a, very funny. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't frame it as a review because you're not you're not there to review. People ask yeah. questions and people give answers. And I don't know if the bots haven't found the Q&A part yet 
Or, I mean, I guess the bots would be like the bot would ask some leading question and then another bot would answer the leading question in a way that starts to form an endorsement or a review. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I look at the Q&A and I'm like, these seem like real people with questions. It doesn't mean the answers are accurate, but I find it an extremely valuable source of information because I go right to the QA. If I look at something and I'm like, does that block the other plug when you plug it in? Like you mm-hmm. have a question like that, right? Oh because yeah, right, the, right, right, right. But, oh, and you but go like to the somebody, somebody knows the answer to that, right? Someone and someone asked it, or you know, because it's it's like a concern that some persnickety person would have, and someone asked it, and someone answered it because it's got you've got two parts: the one person who needs to know about it blocking because look, I bought seven of these things, and very often they block the other outlet, and it's really frustrating. Does mm-hmm. this one do that? And they ask the question, and then someone who has the product sees the question is like oh that never occurred to me but i can just look over here i have the thing and yes it blocks the other outlet or no it doesn't or like Mm -hmm. how wide is this really i know amazon has dimensions on everything but like how wide is the actual plastic thing from end end but someone's like i don't know go out and measure it for and tell you that is the most valuable thing amazon has added in in years and years and i love that that's there and i also love the fact that because it's not like a review it is not subject to all of the so far all the terrible things that happen in reviews yeah i agree did you ever run um uh, curiosity did you ever run twitter audit on your account i did um for the thing tells you how many how many are bots or whatever yeah i i did because i have more twitter followers than i should because i used to be on a hey follow this person list and i've I've decided that uh i'm not going to let you bother me anymore yeah you're close on that one i feel you have to just give it one more term which is is you should decide that you are Mm -hmm. that you are not going to be bothered not that Mm -hmm. i that you're not going to let me because it still seems like that i'm the actor you you bother me you bother right i want you to i want you to do the other thing where like you you gotta do your buddhism meditation stuff just let no no you 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 go meditate you're the one you don't even listen to that (laughs) podcast i sent you no, no, you, you're the one that should do that. Me? What? I sent you, you a podcast about evolutionary psychology. You're a very bad person. Um, when was that? So the point is, I, um, I, I thought to myself, you know, I uh, like the blue check mark. I never asked for this. It's not doing me any favors. I'm, I feel like I know to like a near certainty that a lot of those are, huh, if not bots. Not bots, just like it, people well, who don't use Twitter anymore. Right. There's, but there's, but you know, there's the boobs and butts. That I only notice if I like twice mm-hmm. a year I go in and look at Fav Star and see and look at the all time faves and like suddenly there's this raft of boobs and butts like I thought that was a solved problem but I guess we still got the boobs and butts um, and the other one is rando like entrepreneurs with lots of followers who follow me and I usually soft block them just to make them go away Anthony Scaramucci I had to soft block that guy twice now. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to close my eyes and think of England. I'm going to go find out how much of my self-esteem I should take away by finding out how many of these people are fake. And last time it ran, I just paid to rerun it again right now. Last time I ran it, I got a 78%. You had to pay? I did. I wouldn't have done it if first I had to pay. First, first one's free, yeah. Oh, and then right. run it again for – yeah, but no, I mean, it's, it's for science. Um, but, you know, we're talking about six figures here. So I was pretty impressed that the bot thinks that's – I thought that's good. I figured it was like 50-50 probably. But then I went in and looked at ones. So, so okay, yay, half of these are real followers. But then I went in and looked at what they considered to be fake or bots. And they're just like people with low follower counts. It's really weird. And so I was very reluctant because like, you know, I don't know how much you've ever done with Block Everywhere or any kind of mass like blunt instrument Twitter tool. But like if you're really under fire – 
right? If you're like getting gamer gated, I think those things probably are practically essential if you want to keep doing it. I have not had that problem because I'm privileged white. Do you man. have the high quality, the filter low quality tweets thing for oh, the verified God, people? Yes. Oh, well, I do the, f- yes, 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 I do. I yeah, do. I forget if it's open to everybody, but for a while it was just verified people. It's just a toggle that says, don't show me crap tweets, basically. Yeah, I think everybody gets that now. Um, but, uh, but so what was my point? No, but it's like I really had thought, oh, this is great. Like you figure these people who don't have retina images on their site, which is probably a tell. But you figure, oh, they're probably real smart. You figure things like this fake spot. Oh, they're probably real smart. Like they've got all kinds of like AI machine learning going on where they're able to see, you know, who knows what they're gleaning. I'm wondering if they're gleaning like, oh, this is something that a lot of people has, has blocked. Maybe that's like a bad thing. I don't know how it's working. But then I went in and it's like, no, actually, I'm not going to click the button that blocks all of those people because a lot of them are just people with 14 followers and I would feel like a real jerk. I ran I ran uh, Block Everywhere for a while and I said, I thought I had it down like i subscribed to a couple people's lists right and i and then i said okay do that thing where don't let people block people with new accounts and fewer than this amount and i made so many people so sad there are still people signing up for twitter with 14 followers and they think i hate them and then i gotta like go like i gotta go this adjudicated with people and go like no i'm sorry that was a bot that did that that wasn't my fault yeah but like I'm not sure what the point of all this is, but we're, we're not there. We're not there yet. <laughs> it's, speaking of me not remembering things, like I, I've never used one of those services for exactly the reasons you said, um, and I, I manually block people, but I forget immediately why I block them. So very often, some sad person will try to communicate to me that I block them, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I have no idea why I blocked you. I have no idea when it was, and I'll usually go look at their timeline. And if I look at the timeline, it's like, oh, I see. It's because you're oh, in the it'll KKK. be it'll be very obvious. Right. Like, well, and even the one for me is, and I'm I'm sorry if you think I'm I'm a fancy duchess. Like that's fine, but like if your first contact with me, like as a stranger, I don't know you. I'm a human being with a family and a person, and your first contact with me is something that's very insulting. It's not even like making an in joke. It's just like you're just being a jerk. Like I, I'm pretty like like I said before, and I do not apologize. I will pretty much definitely mute you. <laughs> it's only life is too short to be dealing with that all the time. Oh yeah, like, I'll, blo- I'll block for that. I'm, I give out the blocks like crazy. Oh yeah, or like or like just or if your unblock. mo is if your mo is just like hat on a hat joke over and over, and it's just like no, like I can't yeah, take that. You'll dude. mute those people. Yeah, that, that's I do. where I'm you get muter. I'm a muter. Yeah. Muter Jerry. Yeah. All right, uh, digga, digga, digga. Uh, this just in. Uh, Twitter audit has just run. Uh, I got a ninety. What ninety five percent? Yeah. So I was I was going to say on these on these audit things to show you how many of your followers are bots. I put about as much stake in them as I do those quizzes to tell you which Sex in the City character you are in oh, terms of technological savvy. You're a carry. <laughs> <laughs> what piece of chicken are you? <laughs> exactly. Like so. That's I. I would never have imagined they're doing anything sophisticated. It's some terribly simple set of rules how to get you to go, reload the website. How did I go from seventy eight? You per- didn't. It, that, that stuff is meaningless. Now this. Now you're Miranda. Like that's it. Don't oh, worry about I'm it. <laughs> get over here, you. <laughs> now you're <a> Miranda. <laughs> I'm a Colonel's thigh. Uh, now you're a Miranda. Right All now. right, we got we got a Barkley this joint up. I guess we mm-hmm. could spoil spoiler slot this, I suppose. Mm-hmm. We probably should. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Spoilers I mean, for reality. Spoilers for things that happen in real so life. So this is, I mean, this is the spoiler slot. But I mean, it's a documentary, and I mean, if we told you the conceit of the documentary before the spoiler horn, I think you could still enjoy the movie. There's, I mean, well, now that's already a spoiler. I mean, it isn't like something incredibly surprising happens that like upends the entire idea of the movie, right? 
But sure, yeah, sure. we should probably right. have a so this is a um spoiler slot for the movie The Barkley Marathons, which you can find lots of places. You can buy it on iTunes, but it is streaming on Netflix, which is where I watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as usual, um, we'll put in a timestamp here, and uh, we will, to the extent possible, try not to talk about anything but the Barkley Marathons for the rest of this episode. Happy New Year. That's super interesting, though, that I would – oh, wait, no, I'm already, I'm breaking my rule. You are? How, that I would go from 78% three months ago, three months and three weeks ago to reportedly – 95% now. Don't worry about it. It's right. not real. I think I think they're fish fooding me here. I think they I think they know that I'm a return customer. <laughs> a number generator. View source on the page. <laughs> it's a spinner and a random number generator. It's it's an invisible jet made of JavaScript. When the when the rats hit the hit the paddle at uh-huh. random intervals, food descends. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know why I did this, why I put this in notes. I ended up, how did I arrive at this many, many months ago? I think I just, I feel like I might have heard about it on NPR or something, but I feel like I just saw it. Uh, I feel like I just saw it on Netflix and, and watched it. This has been I, in there for a long time. This and, has been in notes for a very long time. And you asked me time. to watch it for a long time, and I just never did. And, and you it, said, what you always say was, it's still on the list, we'll get to it. Right, but it's the reason, the reason I actually ended up watching it is, well... Right now, we're my wife and I are off on our TV schedules where there's shows we watch together, and I feel like I'm stalled mm-hmm. out on those because there's so few times that we are both able to watch the show. Um, mm-hmm. So I it's have hard to have you, a whole, especially if you have two or three shows where one of you is two episodes ahead, and you got to slow your roll. You got to like find some fill-in stuff. Yeah, and so that's what I'm looking for for fill-in that's stuff. That's where we are and, right now. Yeah. And I'm seeking things out. That's how I ended up seeing Alias Grace and Godless, both of which are good, and you should watch them. Um, and but this one, it, I didn't pull it off of our topic list. I saw it someplace else on the internet. Someone tweeted about it, or maybe there was an article. So I think it maybe has come around again. It's like the documentary is from what, like 2012 or something. It's it's many years old. Um, Let me check. But anyway, it came up again, and I said, "Oh yeah, that's that thing. I know that from the Rective show notes." Mm-hmm. And so I decided to watch it one day, and I did. Berkeley marathons. Um, and, and you sent me this Esquire article about it, which I hadn't seen. 2012. The Barkley Marathons, The Race That Eats Its Young. I also, so I put all the links in show notes. Um, also links to some, uh, there's a, I think, a very good Esquire article that I was reading um, when I called you. So, yep, what, you oh, sorry, it. what did you say? I just said you sent me the Esquire article, but oh, I, I hadn't seen that's it. That's me. I did that. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. So, here's, should we just explain what it is, what happens mm-hmm. in it? Okay. Well, now, so if you haven't seen the movie and you don't care, um, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm one of the reasons I brought this up is that I know you, you run, my wife runs, I have exposure to the uh, running world. And I, I actually think it's a very, for a variety of reasons, I think the running world is very interesting to me. There's a lot about the makeup of people who run even casually. That is very interesting to me because although it's not something that I do, I've started, started getting back into it just a little bit, but just, it's a, not just so, a correction here. I ran. I do not run now, but I did run. I ran. You don't in, like go jog school. or anything? I, no, I know I I'm not no, allowed to not. say jog. I get yelled at for saying jog at home. No, I don't. <laughs> my I got, my I wife, the marathon sprints, runner, does not but, like when I say yeah, jog. But, <laughs> but I did. I did run in high school. You were a middle distance runner. I, I did cross country in high school, so it was like uh, there was like five k and three mile were the two course lengths that we did. But I think there's a lot that's interesting. I mean, even so, the reason I say this, even though it's not something that I'm personally uh, interested in doing, there's a lot of 
I feel like some kind of shared DNA with other things. Like there's something, uh, there's something meditative. There's something nerdy. There's something obsessive. There's something, I don't know, a primal about making a decision to go out and, and run. And I, that's always fascinated me. And then I got married to a runner. Um, she's done, I think like three or four marathons. I've gone with her to some runs, like, you know, crazy ones like in Santa Cruz where you got to like run up a, these big hills. Um, but then of course you learn about things like what Iron Man, you learn about ultra marathons, about like how extreme this stuff has become in the past, what, 30, 50 years. Um, so anyway, that's, I came into it with that and knowing that you had run, uh, I just thought this would be something that you might enjoy. Yeah. So the, I'm, I'm not, I haven't had much contact with this world. I've known about ultra marathons and hundred mile races and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. only tangentially. So most of my running experiences with, you know, running races, my, my dad, uh, still runs and he, he ran, I think at least one marathon when I was a kid and he still runs like every day. Um, and I ran in high school and I'm, I'm, you know, I can identify that a little, but all those things are, I don't know what you say, traditional running. But like if you saw it on TV, you'd recognize it. People with right, running like shoes my- and running shorts, running in, in a race. And I've seen this, I've seen this movie twice. I could not persuade my wife to watch it. Cause she's like, Oh yeah, everybody knows about this. And she kind of did an eye roll and a, psh, cause yeah, it's like, e- it's so goofy that like people who take running really seriously, then there's divisions obviously. And it's not, not a disrespect for what these insane people manage to, or try and do in this marathon but it's somewhere between like my interest in running but also like the hunger games practically it's bananas yeah yeah so that's, that's the thing that that uh is this the first time i had seen and i know I actually know friends at work and stuff who've done things like this right local races we'll explain what this is in a minute but do you know are you aware of other races that are tougher than this no, I've never heard of any tougher than this, but I, like I said, I haven't seen much uh, much in the way of this at all. And uh, what I was most surprised about watching this is at a certain point, they begin the race. And first of all, before they begin the race, look at how they're all dressed. They're yeah. not dressed like runners. I mean, mm-hmm. it, this sounds obvious after the fact, if you think about it, once we tell you exactly what this race is involved. <laughs> also, also but, they don't really start running. <laughs> right. They're not dressed like runners. They're not wearing running shoes and running shorts. And they, you're not going to run this. They look like you, they're backpacking. Like, right. Like they're dressed like hikers. And as you know, you I mean, it makes sense if you think about it for two seconds. But like, like, how is this a running race if for the most part people are walking? And so that's where I feel like this is it's a disservice to call this marathon a running because it is like a different thing. And I think mm-hmm. it's no, not, no lesser or greater thing it is, but it's, it's just different. a different thing. And I think that's why runners think of it as like, you know, turn their nose up or whatever. It's like. Do you want to do this thing where are you running the whole time? Like if you saw someone doing a marathon and the winner didn't run the whole time, you'd be like, well, of course the winner of the New York City Marathon ran the whole. Do you think they stopped and walked for a section? Of course they didn't. It's a race. You have to get there as fast as you can. But for the the Barclay Marathons, ultra marathon things, maybe ultra marathons. But anyway, it's it's impossible. So the, the Barclay Marathons is we should we should break it into pieces because there's wackadoo that runs through all of this. Um, let's talk about the course in a minute, but first of all, just to, the guy who created this is a very interesting, very colorful guy, uh, named Lazarus Lake is his nickname. Um, and he's a guy who's been running for a very long time. And the story goes that in 1977, James Earl Ray, the guy who, um, shot Martin Luther King had escaped from prison in Tennessee near where this guy lives. Uh, he'd escaped from this prison and got like less than 10 miles on foot. And Laz thought at the time to himself, hmm, I bet I could have gone 100 miles 
yeah, and it, and it was like it was like thirty two hours or something. Like he was loose yeah, in the prison, and it's in, 50, it's in the, 55, 55 hours in the woods. Yeah, he made eight he's, miles. He's, he's, and it's in it's in the mountains or whatever, and he he didn't get anywhere, right? Like that it was a, it was a very poor escape attempt. Like if, if he had just got on, gone in a straight line, surely he could have gotten farther. So not only was he lost, but he didn't get very far. And it's in these really really pretty tough woods near where this guy Lazarus lives. So this is a guy, Lazarus is a guy who'd done lots of, he's run for years and years and years. He was basically trying to run on, I think something like every road in Tennessee. He has this giant map. He's very, I think, willfully eccentric guy. Uh, and so he came up with, let's get to the course in a minute, but he comes up with this idea for an ultra event that starts in 1986, where for the first nine years of this very strange competition, no one could even finish the race. And the, just real quickly, <laughs> I'll read a little bit from Wikipedia here, uh, the registration for this, okay, because this is a very selective, wackadoo event. Uh, the Barclays limited to 40 runners. It fills up quickly the day the registration opens. Uh, regi- uh, requirements and times to submit an entry application are closely guarded secret. No details publicized. You have to write an essay called Why I Should Be Allowed to Run in the Barclay. You pay $1.60 for an application fee. Uh, and if you're accepted, you receive a letter of condolence from Laz. And when you show up for the first time, you have to bring a license plate from the state or the country that you are in. Uh, people who've run in the race previously are required to have, have an additional fee, but you also have to provide some article of clothing that Laz wants that year. <laughs> so one year it's white shirts, another year it's socks. Uh, now, if you're a veteran, if you finish the race, if you're one of the few people who's ever finished the race, you can come back anytime. The entrance fee is a pack of Camel cigarettes, which is given to Laz. Which he and smokes. It, which he smokes, and that's how the race starts, is him lighting a camel at a time of day that he, he, he blows into a conch shell, and then one hour later, at the time of his choosing, in this, in this, uh, at this location, the Barkley Marathon begins, and 40 people begin this race. John, would you like to describe the course? So, the course, uh, they showed in the documentary is a circle, but anyway, it's a loop. So, there's a starting point, and, and the starting point is also the ending point. This, yellow, this off, yellow gate like you'd see in a park, right? Right. So, you start off, and you go in one direction, and you go through a course that, that he charts through these mountains, uh, and you end up back where you started. And that loop is supposedly around 20 miles, although there's some debate that maybe it's like 26-ish, but that loop is basically a marathon. 20 miles, 26. And remember, it's not on roads. Like, the elevation changes right. through one loop. I mean, they don't, I think they only give the cumulative one. But, like, you're going up and down mountains in the woods. You, you do, you're doing 10,000 10, feet of elevation per loop. Right. So, if you, by the time you're done... You, and 10,000 feet down, because you end up exactly right. where you started. If, you, if, you, if you're one of the people who completes the marathon, you will have done the equivalent of running up and down Mount Everest. Multiple times, I think. Not mm-hmm. not just once. I think it's like up and down my nervous multiple times, right? And so that's one loop, right? Uh, the race is five loops. And obviously, if you had five loops and you had a year to do it, almost anybody could do it, provided you didn't you die. You only have to run two miles per hour for 60 right. hours and you'll quote do unquote, it. Quote, unquote, run. So, you, so, the, <laughs> so it's five loops of 20 to 26-ish miles each, but you have 60 hours, and that's and it. You, and you, the first loop, you go... Like I get less for the six, 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 so you go uh, clockwise. clockwise you know. If you can make it to do the second loop, you go counterclockwise. Right. Third loop, clockwise. Now it's night. Because um, each one of these is going to be 10 hours, something like that. Yeah, or more, or more. <laughs> or more. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it has, you have to, if you are going to complete it, you have to run this 100, at least 100, and probably 160 miles in through mountains with thorns and rock faces 
and and steep hills that are so steep they seem to fold over on themselves. You have to run underneath the prison that James Earl Ray was in through the like waterway. Oh, underneath just that year them. they have the course there, but yeah, there's streams and rivers and plants, and sometimes there's trail and sometimes right. there's not. And then not. at the end, at the end, the last loop, which is almost always again a nighttime loop, is going to be. Uh, each runner takes off in a different direction. There could be fog. There could be rain. There could be snow. If there's fog, you literally cannot see anything, even with a headlamp. You're running through briars. People's legs are just shredded running through this. Yeah. And so that's why, like, it sounds like it's almost like more like competitive orienteering or competitive hiking. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Because, like, there are sections where people might run because some sections there are kind of like traily looking bits. But as you like said, a break to, between some trees yeah, for a little while to, to win the to finish the race, like, two miles an hour it doesn't sound like i can do two miles an hour right uh but but again you have 60 hours to do it and you can choose to sleep for some of the time that's the other thing every time you finish a loop you can go back to your car where you parked by the you know the start end point have a whole bunch of people patching you up you know change all your socks and your clothes and eat things and you know do anything you need to do and then at a certain point you can decide or not to resume the race so there is kind of like the pit stop thing of course every second you're there at the pit stop is a second you don't get to do to complete your loops um and because five loops like i said for the first whatever nine years nobody could do the five loops and a lot of people thought like haha five loops like that's a funny joke but three loops was what they call the fun run three loops is a fun run yeah. right and three loops <laughs> was a thing that people could do and so people a fun, and fun run being a derisive term in the running community for like oh yeah you did a fun run like oh like you're just like, right, like, like it's a not really competitive it's 2K, just like hey, anybody yeah. can join you don't have to be a runner let's just do a fun run right it's so yeah um and but people would say oh well, the fun run is the real race and the five loops is, five loops is just a joke right until somebody did the five loop one like in year 10 or whatever and then yeah, then yeah, everyone yeah. wakes up and goes Oh, I like it's humanly possible to do the five loops in 60 hours. And, you know, and then it's on. And then it's like now once some, once one person does it, then it, you know, it, it becomes even more compelling. The idea that, that you know, that this is a thing that humans can do. And what is well, it that you could conceivably be the second person to do it? There's a couple more quirky things. So you I, I don't they did not say this officially, but like I got the feeling that like a certain kinds of doping are probably okay like the guy talked about like scarf and caffeine pills and stuff like that yeah like i mean or just plain old blood doping like i don't i'm not sure what the i don't yeah, think the, I, I don't the, think the, the this ioc is, this is, is there testing people right but but you know it's not allowed is is gps and devices so mm-hmm. like you have to you, there's a master map you get a compass lays out and you get a compass and you take notes and he's and this guy he's like i say he is willfully weird let's admit mm-hmm. it but he's very very funny and strange and he speaks he's he's got this he's got this real uh real attitude uh, that this is this kind of like gallows humor about the entire thing and he just laughs at people when they lose they play taps for you <laughs> when you when you collapse sometimes people just don't make it back they've got broken you know limbs uh and oh and then so here's the other thing so to keep keep you honest throughout the course throughout the loops um uh, there are paperback books that are essentially like in a Ziploc bag with like duct tape. You have to go find those books. I think, I don't know if they're particularly well marked, but I guess people share the idea. You know, you well, follow they're, people. They're the waypoints. Like, because the course is like, it's not like the course is marked. Some parts are trail, but other parts are not. But they're, they're not secret. They're, do people know right. where the books are going to be? Uh, yeah, they're on the map. Like the whole idea okay. is that if you, if you are a perfect machine and did a straight line from book mm-hmm. to book to book to book, that's fine. You've done the course in the minimum amount of distance, right? You know what I mean? 
Yes. Obviously, people don't do that because it's hard to find the damn books because they're in the middle of the woods. And so depending on how good you are at finding the next book, your loop may be much longer than somebody else's because for various parts of it, they are. And if you miss one of these really obscure uh, landmarks, I mean, the way the the directions that he gives are deliberately really bizarre. So when you get to the book, you get a new number. First of all, you get a new number each loop. If you can do more than one loop, I could not do more than one loop. I could not do any part of a loop. But um, you get a new number and the number that you get, you have to tear that page out of the paperback book. And then when you, if you make it back to the gate for your loop, you present those to Laz and he marks down all your times and you have to, like this is to say, have all your pages. Yeah, this like is a low-tech way to make sure, because they don't have monitors out there on the course to make sure everybody does the thing. It's to prove that you actually really did a loop because you don't know what the books are going to be ahead of time. And so you couldn't come there with an entire library and just like find out what the books are on the first loop and tear out the page. You know, like it's a, this is a low-tech way to make sure everyone does it. And every time you complete a loop, they want to see all your pages from all your books. And like I said, because the, the rules are, if you can, you know, whatever trick you want to do to get from one book to the next book faster, that's fine. That mm-hmm. is, that's what they want you to do. It's only downside, right? So if you have all the pages, you've you've done the loop. Like there's no way to get all the pages and not do the loop, right? Because you right. don't know what the books are going to be. Here's a here's a paragraph from that Esquire article, which I recommend. Um, uh the master map is revealed duct tape to a picnic table the runners crowd around eager to copy the various sections of the course rat jaw gnarly mouth leonard's butt slide foolish stew bad thing hillocalypse onto their own maps they can also consult laz's printed directions such as they are quote look for a weird rock at a confluence of two streams cross over that turn left and go down a hillside if it looks too steep that's the right one end quote yeah. So and so off they go, and they and it's interesting. Quite a mix. The people who participate in it, they're not all super young. A lot of them seem to be like very intense nerds. Yeah, At least well, the ones they interviewed. The ones uh, they interviewed. Yeah. So I think I feel like a lot of these people are kind of not necessarily real, like real early pioneers, but the, the early set of people, like you know, just recently, you know, after nine years, the first person finished it, figuring out. What does it take to to do a race like this? Like, there's it's not like it's been systematized like marathons. It's like we know what it is. We know the distance. We know the courses. We know the training regimes. Blah blah. For so long, this one was like, is this even a thing that people can do, or is it not? And right. now that people can do it, it's like, what what does it take to do it? Like, there's so much. The people who do it are people who are not necessarily the people who would be best able to do this but people who are best able to find the system for doing this so you get a lot of oh that's an interesting way to look at it i had in my notes notes here that it occurs to me how much geeks not only like puzzles but like almost impossible puzzles that require some kobayashi maru mind bend of logic to figure it out yeah or just just systematic like scientific method like how many calories Mm -hmm. do i need how long should i sleep should i take Mm -hmm. caffeine or not taking how much water should i take you know what should i carry it in what kind of materials are good like just figuring all the stuff out if eventually, I don't know what the state is at now, this stuff gets systematized and well-known enough, eventually people who are better athletes are going to come and wipe the floor with these pasty nerds, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, there is a, you know, a, a, an athleticism that can give you an edge here. But it oh, doesn't it'll matter. Be like, it'll be like the, like the Kenyans haven't discovered your road well, race yeah, that, oh, You're getting it. That gets into the next angle of this. So I'm watching a documentary that you recommended to me, and I don't know anything about it other than it's like one of these ultramarathon things, and I knew very little about that. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. fascinated by that part of it. But as the thing is going on, because I've seen enough documentaries in my time, I'm already starting to think, is there going to be a turn? Is there going to be a twist? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, 
a lot of documentaries are like that, where it seems like it's like about one thing, but actually ends up being about another. Right. So the whole time I'm watching this one, one of the things I'm noticing is that, where is this in, uh, is it in Arkansas? Where Tennessee, where, Tennessee. Tennessee. So this is in Tennessee, and I'm like, huh, a lot of white people in this mm-hmm. race. Um, and, and I'm thinking, like, you know, the same thing I was thinking there, like, well, the nerds can figure out what it takes to win, but most of these guys don't look like they are particularly athletic. Like they don't even look like marathoners in terms of just fitness and tone, right? Mm-hmm. They seem like so, and some of some of them are legit like guys in their fifties with the ski pole things, right? And the, and the guy who runs the race is smoking, and mm-hmm. so I'm thinking, is the turn going to be there's this race and everyone's great and it's genial, but it turns out the guy who runs the race is also a grand wizard in the KKK. <laughs> Right, that's the turn I hate I'm 2017 looking. so much. That's the turn I'm, I know. You're right. I mean, it, it's, why is that even in my head? I know. Um, you know, and, and like, because I'm what, and not like, uh, you know, because everyone in Tennessee is just terrible and racist, but because it's a documentary, and a lot of time documentaries have yes. a turn like that where it's like, they sure do. You know, mm-hmm. and so I was watching for that, and I was also thinking. Uh, the people who are winning this race should enjoy it while the last was this, if this becomes popular enough, the real world-class athletes are going to come and wipe the floor with them using all their knowledge about exactly how many calories you need at exactly what time and exactly what materials you should use. And you know what I mean? Sure. Um, although that would change the character thing. But anyway, uh, to, to spoil it for everybody, there is no turn. These, the people just are what they are and they enjoy this race, and the documentary is about this race. And- I don't know if they enjoy it, but it, by by the time you get to, and now we're into deep into spoiler country, you get to the point where, what are the, I think there are four people that are attempting the fifth loop? I think, well, no, it was only three for the fifth was loop. I mean, so this, very you know, very often there are no finishers, and for many years there were none, but even now, occasionally, there are, there are no finishers. And the, sort of the ideal scenario that if you're making a documentary is what they got in 2012, which is Multiple people are going to do the fifth loop. The first one comes, gets to pick the direction. The first one picks clockwise or counterclockwise. And mm-hmm. the second person has to go in the opposite direction. So you get two people going off in opposite directions on the loop, which means you don't know how far along the person you're quote unquote racing with is. If they're with each other, you one pace. person may yeah. get ahead and get out of sight and the other person will become disheartened and that's it. But because they can't see each other, they're both going, they're going to cross at some point and then you, based on your crossing point, if you happen to cross, because you could cross each other and never see yeah. each other given you, I mean, it's the not, vagaries this is of not, the course. This is not on a track. <laughs> yeah. So, so it gives, is, is a very clever design to, to add a sense of drama and urgency to the participants and to the people observing. And that's the ideal. Not ideal is if they, if they filmed it in 2012 and nobody finished. I guess you can make a documentary out of that. Or if they filmed it in 2012 and only one person did the fifth loop, well, guess what? They're either going to make it or not, and there's some drama in that. But this was the best you could hope for. Three people on the final loop, two of which are clearly competitive with each other, and the third one was competing against a 60-hour limit. So you had all, the the, high, the highest drama you could possibly have. Right. Um, and so that was exciting. It's a good year. Yeah. Yeah. And and they talked about the the, the years before and after that. And and so yeah, they but but there was no twist. Like the drama was here's this race, it's really weird. Look at these look at these contestants, and here's the big dramatic finish of the race, exactly as we said it. No it was no uh no Sherman's guess, March, which is yeah, still Yeah, you're, you're right, yeah, you're right. There wasn't no, Oh, I love that show. Oh yeah, wait, did you watch that? No. I've just heard you talk about it a lot. God damn it. So All right. I bought it for you, you never got it. Is that, is that um, true? I did, I bought it for you. In um, iTunes? Yes. I look, I look, um, but even knowing that, I don't know. I'm curious what you think. I, I thought it was riveting. When you get to the point where uh, there's the one guy, the kind of handsome, dark-haired guy. There's the nerdy guy with the glasses. 
And then there's the the kind of dark haired uh, Anthony Weiner looking guy, and they're just they're so beat up, and you're like oh, you're just thinking, it's like uh, you know Dragline and Cool Hand Luke. You're like stay down, do not go back. <laughs> You've done four seriously, dude. You are gonna die. You're gonna and there and just like every little every little. I, I thought this was a very good movie and very well made. Just every little so- shot of him like trying to keep his kid amused while he's obviously in pain and slurping down ramen and people are just jamming food into their mouths where they're like, it's, I, I, I thought it was just riveting, but then you get to that point where it's, it's pitch black and you're like, and apparently it gets much worse. Apparently when it's foggy, it's very, very bad, like very dangerous, but you're just like, dude, don't do it. Like, just stop. You did it. You made four loops. That's so good. You made it past the fun run. You have a lot to be proud of. Please do not go back out. Cause you see them just standing up out of their little camp chairs and you can just feel their body creaking. So watching this, they're intercutting the competitors, which they didn't have that much footage of the competitors because to have footage, you would have to be along the course, and it's a big course, and they're just a documentary. Yeah, crew, they had like a camera know. fixed at the top for a lot of it of this one like summit that people go by. Yeah. There's and a lot of helicopter shots. Couple down a couple of hills through the prison, like there was a couple of places where they had time stamp, but a lot of footage was back at the the, the camp, the main the start end point. Yes, uh, and they would talk to people over there, uh, and I don't know when when they're. Some of the most compelling footage was when they're back at that race, because especially like towards the like the final loops, you see the look in the people's eyes and they're not they're not yeah. there anymore. They've they been the, awake. They got the thousand yard stare. They've been awake. It's more than a thousand yard. They they mm-hmm. are seeing into infinity. They mm-hmm. are no longer at home. Like they're like shark eyes. Right. And well, like, just imagine imagine you and me staying up for 60 hours in the most conceivable, comfortable conditions. Right. Be like, sitting on the couch like, like, boy, I'm really no, like, tired. Yeah, like, doing, you do whatever hours. you want. You, you have whatever coffee you want. You can watch mm-hmm. any movie you want. You can do anything but sleep for 60 hours. And let me know how you feel after 60 hours. Now imagine doing five marathons. Right. In, in a row. Like, in a row. you know, very, very minimal breaks in between. Yeah. So, and so to me... That the person who was, you know, we had the two competitors who were racing against each other, one of which got the course record, which is another, you know, great, great year for the documentary and the record that's still that's still held. Mm-hmm. Um, and but the last guy I felt like was the most compelling because he was racing against the 60 hour clock of just like, did you finish? Yes or no? Will he, he make in, it down that hill in, yeah, in 60 hours? And, yeah. And that guy <clears throat> was he he had departed his body many, many hours ago. Yeah, he's like, like a scarecrow man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and and there's a lot of interviews with him after the fact and everything and I, in many ways like I feel like that's what this is about is you know pushing human bodies to the to the limit in a different way than running a marathon. It's actually uh, it's very similar to like, you know, Mount Everest or whatever. Like where you're not running up Mount Everest, but it's it's such an amazing feat to do it that you know that it is is an achievement. And this 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 seems harder than that because tons of people I've done Mount Everest, but at this point, very, very few people have been successful at this. And there are no Sherpas like there are on Mount Everest. Where it's right. Like, you, you don't know, get oh, a Tenzing Norgay. The first, the first white person to get up there, but the Sherpas, you know, like. Yeah, no. we don't talk about Tenzing enough. <laughs> That's really frustrating. Yeah. Anyway, I, I found it. I found it very compelling. I like things like this. I like mm-hmm. the personal aspect of it uh, a little bit more than they weighed on. Because, yes, the event is the thing. But, I, you know, I want to hear more about the people. I felt like. I don't know. Maybe there's not that much more more there to the people than what they could give in the the pre and post interviews. But it didn't it didn't fall into a lot of the traps in this somewhat golden ish age of documentaries. It didn't fall into a lot of the turns out traps. First of all, the things like the production, uh, the, the graphics that they use to describe things, I thought were well done without being too cute. You can really go too far with. I watch a lot of documentaries, John, and like a lot of them are like, I got to just shut it down. It's like, oh, okay, this is too much. Clearly, this is going to become about the filmmaker at some point because that's a thing we have to do. But in this case, uh, 
yeah, I, I, it's nice because I feel like in as, even in as much as there was not a huge turns out, I agree with you. They, they were there for a very good year. Not least because like, what if there had been a ton of fog? Like you could not have made a movie. They really lucked out in that sense as well. You make it have to make a different movie. You'd have to be even more talking mm-hmm. to people before and after. Why are you out like, here doing this? Like, what uh, you, dust boot. You know, it would yeah, be what, even more what are you hoping to get from this? Yeah. Uh, why are you here? What happened in your childhood that makes making you do this to yourself? Like, like you could delve even more into that. Like, it just so happened that they they could actually concentrate on the event and still have an amazing dramatic story. But if you couldn't, you could just concentrate on the people because you got you got to think that everybody is there has some story. We, we didn't mention one of the other fun things to do with the entries is. Every year, there's a human sacrifice where he picks one one person. He picks who he one knows application. Does not have a prayer. Yeah, yeah. He, like he can tell from the application that this person does not know what they're getting into. Right. Uh, and so they are chosen, unbeknownst to them, that you know. Right. And he, he that, looks like like every. He, imagine someone who owns a yacht. I don't know if you've ever met anyone, but that's this guy. He looks. Like, he looks yeah, like he a yacht looks owner. Fit. He looked like an athlete. He looks fit. And the yeah, thing well, is, he uh, looks like the, he's probably got a good handicap in golf, but he doesn't look like a guy who runs through brambles all day. Yeah, it, it looks like he could run regular marathon. I would trust that guy to run a regular marathon yeah, just yeah. fine, right? But he doesn't know what he's up against. And the thing is, the guy, the guy who runs at Lazarus or whatever, he knows who the human sacrifice is, and it seems like he kind of talks to the people who he's friends with, yes. other people in the race, tells them. That, but eventually, <laughs> this guy, it's, almost everybody knows, yes. except for you, that you are not going to make it. I think that guy didn't even make like a quarter of a loop or something. Was, no, you know, no, no. I mean, it's, it's, and uh, anyway, I guess I would say, I would encourage people to watch it. I, I thought it was very interesting. And, that we've ruined the whole thing to them. No, them, but, well, yeah. but no, there's nothing to be yeah, ruined about experience it. it. It's, 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 it's worth watching. This is a durable movie in the sense that it's like, even when you know what it's about, like just seeing, I don't know. I think you, I can really admire a filmmaker who gets what they got out of something like this. Cause you know, let's be honest, the filming conditions for this were probably not particularly super schmooper pleasant yeah and, and they had that they probably had a lot of footage and they made they made a pretty good movie out of it like it wasn't you know it wasn't perhaps as dramatic and moving as the ones that end up being about the person or the ones mm. where there's a turn but it was very straightforward that the filmmakers kept themselves out of it uh it was very well articulated i you know maybe it's just me bringing like i was constantly had that tickle of thinking like you know what's i was still always looking for some kind of turn and some some kind of well, dark it's like, turn like we said last time watching godless af- in the age after westworld we mm-hmm, were like yeah. hmm, okay all right i'm up to episode three what's gonna happen now or just like it or just in in the, in the shadow of uh deadwood yes where yes. you're expecting everybody to be terrible in an eccentric humorous way but everybody is fundamentally good and it's right. like huh yeah that's interesting well let me ask you this then um what do you make of well? What's your take on people who decide to undertake this kind of extreme sports stuff? Like, what's your what's your feeling on on the people who do that? Do they seem? Do you admire them? Do you think they're ambitious? Do you think they're a little bit crazy? Like, what what's your feeling on somebody who goes into a situation? Like, let's say somebody's seen this movie and has been in enough things like this to know that they probably can't do this, but they want to try. Like, what do you what's your what's your take on someone like that? I think in the pioneering decades apparently for the like but in the, in the early times of events like this most of the people involved in it have had some kind of trauma in their life that hmm. this is this is helping them deal with um like that there has to be a problem that this is the solution to because we're not yet in the part where it's just straight up athletes who arguably even extreme athletes have some kind of thing that it's helping them deal with but like just eventually if things become popular successful and established enough you get people who like what i do for a living is i do amazing things with my body i'm an athlete right 
Uh, and that I feel like is a calling in a way that, uh, that let's see what the limits of human endurance are. This thing that might not even be a thing is different. Right. So I feel like a lot of the people there are there, you know, I, I, I would guess that if you talk to everybody who's there and they did talk to them a little bit, like and you got a little bit of like, uh, like what, what is it that you feel is missing from your life that you need to fill it with this kind of suffering, like mm-hmm. voluntary suffering, uh, voluntary suffering, uh, not unsanctioned, but sort of, it's an unknown. Like you're not just but like, running but like the kind City of thing Marathon. where you're not you're not going to to quote kids in the hall. Like you're not going to um, purge that particular demon or access this deep thing you need to get at by climbing the racquetball ladder. There's there's something bigger that has to be undertaken. And, and the thing is, whatever it is that you're doing, like part of the reason this is helping you at all is that it is it is an unknown. It is not a safe thing that a bunch of people do that you could succeed or fail at. This is another thing that I kept watching for during the thing. Look, they say like, ah, you know, we have, you know, people don't usually get hurt bad or die. And I was like, listen, the only reason no one has died in this is dumb luck. Like, this is a formula for people dying. There is no supervision. Mm-hmm. There's no helicopter coming to save you. There's no search crew. There's no people along yeah, this, the course. This is, not a, this is not a theme park ride that's a little scary in parts. Right. This it, this is a thing that kills people. Like, And, and it's, it's amazing to me that it hasn't killed anybody, especially when you get the fresh meat guy. Someone should be – a crew should be following the, the human sacrifice guy so that they don't die. And so I thought one of the turns of this thing could be, isn't this a fun, wacky race that people do? And guess what? People start to die because this <laughs> – But then like there's said, walkers. <laughs> yeah. This is not an amusement park, right? right? There is no guarantee that this is in any way safe. And the type of people who do that are different from the type of people who enter the New York City Marathon, which is a, an entirely known sanctioned thing, which, yes, could also kill you if you have a heart attack. But you will not, like, die of exposure along the way. And you kind of know what the parameters are. And lots of people have done it. And it's a thing you could be successful at. And you could buy a thousand books and watch YouTube videos on exact training regime. You have to do this. And this thing is like, you want to go see if you don't die in the woods? Right. <laughs> and a bunch of people like... Yes, I would like to do that. And like I said, these are not world-class athletes at this point. These are, you know, maybe world-class problem solvers and world-class survivors. But I feel like there's something wrong with a lot of them. And honestly, I think this is not this is not a safe event. Oh, <laughs> like, no, that's no. Po- I, that's I, what I makes it a compelling – like, it never I, will be safe. Setting aside the treatment of Laz as this kind of, you know, puckish character, uh, no, this is pretty bad. But, you know, you also bring up this interesting point about – you know, you think about like for how long it was just believed to be something like a scientific certainty that you, for a variety of physical, physics, human body reasons, you can't break a four minute mile. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like uh, clear thinkers, even when that was the popular idea, it wouldn't hold up the scrutiny because like. But could they, could, wait, they have guessed, could they have guessed not only that would happen, but then like if you go look at a curve. I don't have it in front of me. Oh, yeah. I mean, the curve is one thing, but the fact that it's four minutes is immediately suspicious. Like, minutes. A little, little bit arbitrary. Isn't that an arbitrary unit and we're just picking a round number? And that yes, seems like but the this barrier. Is a, but a foot is the size of the king's foot. <laughs> exactly. Like, so it's like four <laughs> minutes. There's supposed to be something stopping us from, There's a reason. You know, Digit. Digital. Get right, it? Like, fingers. It, it, you know, I, so every time I, I think about pi as being this, you know, whatever, rational number, I, I'm so happy that pi is not like four or something because people just so want to latch on to like the round thing. It's like four minute mile. That's 
it just fits perfectly. <laughs> but it's but it's funny how like the how the the mm, for lack of a better word, I'm getting tired. The hegemony, I don't know, of the, the rounding of these things, where like you know now Brady's I guess talked about this. Like you know you can go get a buddy and you can like go up Everest. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's all this stuff that used to be, you know, Elon Musk wants to send you into space. I well, don't know. I mean, not to get into video games again, but very yeah. often one of the things I always talk about with video games is you're having difficulty in a particular thing. Perhaps the most important thing that can help you get past it mm-hmm. is to believe that it can be done by a human. Like, and the be- mm-hmm. best way to believe that is to, like in, in the modern age, go watch a YouTube video of somebody doing it because you will convince yourself that it is not possible to be done. And you will, like it becomes more and more certain to you that this is not a thing that people can do. So by seeing somebody else do it, you change your frame set and say, look, this is a thing that humans can do. Yes. A human like me could do it. Look at this person. He did it. Right. And so four minute mile and these things were like the four, because it's four colon zero zero, that starts to loom in your head is like, you know, that's, that becomes a mental barrier in your own head until the first person goes through. I know. And then I know. all of a sudden, then you're like, wait a second. And that then suddenly it's not, zero, it's not zero. impossible anymore. It we, didn't stop him. And then you believe it can be done. And it's like, oh, it's on now. And, there's, you know, until the next round number. Like, I don't know if we've broken a three-minute mile. But, no, uh, you, no. you know, we, you start cranking. So this this race is like that, you know, like drawn out where it's like nine years. Nobody can do it. And it's just like a joke until somebody does it. And everyone's like, oh, wait a second. In, it can uh, be done. In, in the winter of 2017, our family has discovered vines. Now, I I, I cracked wise about vines because I didn't get vines. I didn't realize that vine was potentially one of the most brilliant, creative, and comedic devices uh, devices of our time. And I now often pad out my evening with an hour of watching compilations of vines because they are mind-blowingly clever and funny. And they are already heavily in our family's vernacular. Yes. Like we, we watch a lot of vines, but there's one vine. I've got to find this where it's such, there's certain that are like classic vines that involve physical activities. There's a very famous one where this black guy goes up to this ramp. So first of all, how familiar are you with vines? I'm familiar enough that everything you said makes perfect sense to me. So, you know, Yas Cat? Uh, only because you sent it. So I don't yes. know any particular vines, but I've seen vines that have blown my mind. Yes. I, it's very impressive. Right. The, the, like there's one where there's the, it's amazing what you could fit a story. You could fit like a high school girl goes up to her locker to get her books out. They start kind of tumbling out. Her friends walk by. She says, Oh, hang on a minute. Wait for me. Cut. The friends are walking very far away. Cut. She's mad. Cut. The school bus is leaving and the kids are sad. Cut. She's driving the school bus. A song is playing and she's making the boohoo crying thing with her finger. Six seconds. Six seconds. It told an entire funny story with a punchline in six seconds. Never worn. Oh. (laughs) Six six words, right? Uh, Yes. I was thinking about his other quote, the, the quote that's variously attributed to him or Hemingway about going broke. Yep, uh, slowly First, and suddenly. Yep. Yeah, right, 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 right. Which, which that one doesn't hold up to scrutiny, but yeah, no, it's, man, it's poetic. It's Hemingway, the drunk. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, but there's one vine. So there's a famous vine of this black guy who, like, I don't know, <laughs> he has prepared some kind of greased ramp, and so you see this guy in the in the like from like 20 feet away. He steps onto some kind of like what I can only describe as a greased ramp. And with complete composure, he slides down this ramp 
lands right at the point where the camera is, turns to the camera, pauses, and goes, good evening. And it's brilliant. It's a brilliant vine. But, okay, what I'm building up to, there's one vine <laughs> where, oh, I got to find this. A guy walks across a roof, I think holding a beer. He starts to walk off of the roof. He, do, he grabs not really the branch of a tree, but like kind of like the slender trunk of a tree. As he's walking without breaking his step, he grabs this. He is perfectly in a way, in, in a way that you could not even animate any better with animation. He, he lands perfectly. It gently delivers him to the ground. He immediately continues walking. And it's probably the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, the magic trick ones, I look at those and I'm like, how do they even do that? Like, like the, yes, guy, the, guy, the guy making yes, the shot it. with the garbage can in the class. Have you seen that one? Where the guy makes a shot from like 40 feet away. He hits the garbage can from like 40 feet away. Somebody I've seen a lot of those, but not that particular one. Oh, but I, a lot of the ones with like people disappearing and reappearing and going through things and they oh, connect right. up the motion. Like I said, like, it's like, I got it's like the animation. groceries. How? I don't know. <laughs> They're so good. Uh, what was my point? My point is that like when, when you look at something like parkour in particular, like that became kind of a thing to watch where like I've actually kind of tried to steer my kid away from those for the obvious reasons. But like sometimes you go like you see, I mean, obviously they're very heavily staged. You got the, like that frog boy with his, you know, you know, fancy cameras, those kinds of set, setups. But like, you know, this person sees a cityscape in a different way than I do, you know. Uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like they are able to to see something very different. Or you think about the way, oh God, the great opening to uh, not opening. What's the casino? Is it Casino Royale? What's the Bond movie that opens with the chase up? That narrows, the, that narrows it down. Easy text. Not gonna let it bother me. No, but where he goes up the uh, they 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 do tons of parkour, jumping through windows, climbing up the uh, like a crane, running across the crane, diving and jumping through windows. If you, see, you know what I'm talking. It's either Casino Royale. I've or, seen all the Bond movies, so I'm sure I've seen this one, but I don't. It might don't be Casino Royale, but it's it's. But like, there's something about parkour that makes me think, like, oh my god, I admire so much about that. It's so athletic, truly, in the true sense of the word, truly athletic. Like you are able to call upon faculties that I not only I don't have I don't have any access to how you would think about looking at a wall as something where you could make three jumps, hit a window make purchase on this tiny little like one inch thing and be able to fly up it like your night crawler. Like, I don't know. That's, that's, that's kind of how I feel when I watch something like this documentary, not quite the same. It's not quite the same magic and not quite the same six second editing. But like, I look at that and I go like, you see the world really differently than I do. Like one, one of the things, uh, interesting things for me for this documentary is that I do feel like I have access to how a, a parkour person sees the cityscape because I play video games where you play as a parkour person and you are forced to look at the city as, as you know, mm-hmm. obviously I'm not doing it right. But, but you forced to look at it that way, but there is no video game equivalent to the Barclay marathons. And I think it would be difficult to do of like, <laughs> of, ex, you know, communicating to you like that you have to, well, you have to play the game for 60 hours and you can't sleep and it's really tiring or like, I don't even understand how you would do that because it's no, but not be like about occasionally, occasionally a video game shoots a poison dart at you. But you don't know <laughs> right. what direction it's going to come from. So, it could be in an hour or it could be in it, seven it, seconds. You, you play it for 60 hours and someone hits you lightly on the head with a baseball bat the whole time. Yeah. Like <laughs> just, just, but like not, not quite hard, not hard enough to knock you punk. out. Clunk, yeah, clunk. it's like a clinical best baseball hit, and you're fr- and you're freezing cold and soaking wet the whole time. Oh yeah, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that so that makes oh, that this guy's experience feet. like I'll never forget that guy's yeah. feet. Oh yeah, 
Uh, but see, like the only thing I can have a connection to the Barkley marathons is post-apocalyptic books that I've read where people are forced to survive in the modern people are forced to survive in the wilderness against the elements, yeah. usually with something motivating, like, you know, hordes of zombies or something like that's making you, you know, exactly do the loop that like, that's what I think about these people, like these sort of people who are cracking this problem, that they would be the survivors, assuming they didn't die of like radiation poisoning or whatever, right. that in the aftertimes, they would figure out what it takes to survive in this new world with whatever arbitrary rules, like, you know, the rules that Laz is making up, the rules of the new world, whatever they may be, these people would figure out how to do it. Like, so if you, if you want it so much more than the quote unquote survivalists who are like, I got to stockpile guns. Oh, like, 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 yeah, yeah. Like, like, um, meatloaf men with, uh, with, with goatees and rifles. Right. Like they're going to survive. No, it's the, it's the people oh, who figure out how to Antifa comes to my house. house. <laughs> yeah, the, the the Barkley Marathon people. I want hook me up with them yes. because they they'll probably just eat me when I die. But but they, they will know <laughs> they will know they'll they will be alive and the survivalists will not. 